Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of Glory Days of Gold, the East Fife and Scottish Football Podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Lee Dillis. And we've got another patch show for you this week. We've got a great guest coming up in the former East Fife manager, former Hearts, Everton and Scottish player Gary Naismith. That's bound to be a, a good one. And we'll have a lot of Scottish football chat, some East Fife news of the week, and a lot more besides. So this episode has been brought to you by KJK Installations Joinery in Glenoffice. Um, I want to thank Kevin Oswald at KJK for sponsoring us going forward. I'm very, very grateful. Kevin's been a friend of mine for a, a long time. We went to school together and stuff and, and recently did a lot of work in my mum's, which meant we got to catch up with him again. So if you are looking for any work to be done during lockdown, if you're looking at your house and seeing that anything's needing done, then definitely get in contact. And that's KJK Installations on Facebook. So thank you so much for, for that. It's very much appreciated. I've upgraded my mic for this episode and we've also we've decided to upgrade our Zoom account as well because it, it was easier for chatting to Gary than on Skype. So none of this comes cheap, but very much appreciate everyone that has supported the show so far and all the listeners as well because, I mean, we, we talked last week, the first episode had had a great response. The, the second one as well with Paul McManus has gone down very well. You even got on the back page of the papers, which is the media whoring you coming out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and cheers again to um, Scott Ingalls, who covers quite a lot of the, the East Fife um, games. And do you want to know what? I felt that like he might have needed a story to keep him going. And, and who yeah. would have known that a, a fat boy for Glen Office where they got on the backstage of the pa- uh, page of the paper when I took it over to my dad? You know, he went, oh, who's son? I never thought I would see. So, um, no, it was good. And we've had some great coverage. I mean, we're just shy of 400 downloads on the Paul um, McManus episode. And the first show that we had um, was um, 442 when I looked earlier, which the OCD freak in me absolutely loved it. It was tied in with something football. So, no, I think, um, you know, it's, it's been really, really great. And just touching on that sponsorship going forward, we had our discussion about how we're looking to do that. So what we're planning to do is we'll release who's going to be our guest. Um, so, for example, next week we're delighted to be joined by Tom McManus, um, or Tam McManus, depending on if you're Scottish or not. And... Basically, we'll be looking to um, have an episode sponsored, and you could do that from £20. Fantastic. I mean, I, I thought the only time I would see you in the paper would be on the front page with a headline or a, a comment in the, the section saying, police are unsure how many bodies he has left behind. <laughs> and then he turned the gun on himself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all joking aside, no, I was, I was quite pleased with that. Um, you know, it's been my, my first 
um, bit of coverage since uh, all those years of doing Playboy, so pretty pleased with that. Yeah, and yet you've got a good middle-age spread out of this, sir. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> but also, I want to... as well. Yeah. I want to give a plug as well to AFTN. We are back, baby. We're recording this on Thursday night, but by the time that this episode comes out, Saturday evening, I am hoping that the site will be live, aftn.co.uk. I've decided to stop trying to get everything up on the site all at once, and I'm just going to release what has been revamped just now, and then we'll kind of just go forward and we'll release more and more stuff on that. So we'll, you'll be able to find the podcast on there, as well as on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and we'll have a few more things that's going to be on as well. So definitely check out aftn.co.uk. There's no forum but there are comment sections on the articles, so you have to sign in this time for that. So no anonymous comments. I know that was something that pissed a lot of folk off in the past. We're more professional now. Let's just say that. As, as if you've not always been professional, Mike. Give yourself I, a bit of credit. I, I don't know that we could be classed <laughs> as some of the stuff that we've done. When I look back at the old fanzines, especially in kind of the, the modern woke society, I don't know how we got away with some of the stuff that I did in the 90s, and it definitely would not be something that you would get away with now anyway. No, no, definitely not. And I think that for the sake of our sanity, we'll not even repeat some of the stuff that used to be on that forum in terms of songs from people from Cowden Beath and things like that. I wonder how we would have to revamp the Cowden family for the woke society. Oh, I know Um, that cartoon strip would just not fly nowadays. Even the song. Well, funnily enough, on the site, I've got a songbook, which is a lot of our old songs. And there was one, which I, I won't say what it was, but there was one that we used to sing at Cowdenbeath that I've taken out just because the context could be mistaken because of what the word means in Scottish vernacular, yeah. as opposed to what other people reading it would possibly take it as. So, I mean, yeah. times have changed and yeah, football's changed. But yeah. let's move on. Let's move on from that anyway. And let's kick off the show by looking at our East Fife news of the week. Now, last week we recorded the show on Thursday night and I made the comment, well, it's been a, a pretty quiet weekend in East Fife and Scottish football news. And then Swords Law on the Friday, everything just explodes and there's all these news stories and releases and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll go over some of them just now. And I, I want to kick off just by, by looking at some of the East Fife news from the week. Two players have re-signed. The versatile and much-lauded Aaron Dunsmore, defender Craig Watson. 23-year-old Dunsmore, he's been at the club for three seasons now. He's just penned a new two-year deal. 115 appearances to date, 14 goals. You were saying on last week's show, Lee, that he was one of the the two guys you really wanted to to put pen to paper. So you're going to be delighted by that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was quite quick to get in touch with Aaron um, when I found out that he'd be signed to, to hope to get him on the show because, I mean, he scored so many, you know, important goals for us to go against the Rovers and go, the, the penalty against Hearts and stuff and go against Dundee United. So, you know, I was quite keen to get him on to, to speak to him about that. But look, it doesn't matter what level you're playing at, you want to keep your best players. And I, I know that there's been clubs sniffing about Aaron. So for him to commit not just a one-year deal, but a two-year deal is absolutely amazing. It just means that you want to know what, obviously we don't know how football is going to go in the future, but we would be able to command a fee for him. And I, I definitely think that he is good enough to go um, full-time if he wanted to. But like Paul McManus was saying, and like Gary's um, touched on as well, that you know, is it better for players to, to go part-time and get a job too? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big decision that a, a lot of players are going to have to make now. And 
I've got to give full credit to, to Aaron as well for agreeing to the two-year deal and meaning that East Fife can sell him. And I'm pretty sure he's agreed to that because East Fife have said, look, if a club comes in for you, we will not stand in your way. You can move on. So this is a win-win. Player gets some stability. If someone comes in, he gets to move on. East Fife gets some money. So a great bit of business done by the board there. Yeah. And in particular, even on the back of that, even with, with Craig Watson, um, you know, at a, a good solid player obviously played upstairs with Hamilton Ackies and stuff and I was quite surprised that we managed to get him in the first place and he's, he's, he's been a good player for us since so I think that you know I don't want this podcast to be us blowing smoke up the board's arse but they're, they're doing a great job they're they doing are. an absolutely fantastic job um, you know getting getting these guys tied in I mean and look you know there's has been publicised that Anton Dowds is, is obviously looking to get a, a full time move and stuff but you know, like Gary's touched on again, you know, there's going to be a lot of players that are free now. Get yourself tied down, Anton. Let's let's get you another season or at least um, join us for another two. And if you get that chance to play upstairs, take it with both hands, but get yourself in a club with a fan base that love you. I mean, the, the only thing that can work as a disadvantage to that is some clubs might think, oh, well, if I sniff around these players now, I can get them for free. Whereas if East Fife or a club ties a player up, they're going to know that they're going to have to pay a fee. So that could go against some players and not want them to, to decide to, to put pen to paper. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, Watson, he's 25 just, but he's got six years under his belt. So he's kind of a veteran at 25. So that's a good bit of experience for East Fife to extend. It's a one-year extension. 86 appearances now for the club. He's got eight goals and... I read in Pie and Bovril, which was a site I hadn't really been on for a couple of years, but once we started doing this and getting everything back up and running again with the website, I thought, oh, I'll go back on to Pie and Bovril, just see what folk are saying. And there was a lot of fans from, from other teams that were laughing at us because, not us as the show, but us as these five fans, for being so excited that we are signing so many players that had only taken us to mid-table last season. Now, we don't know how the season was going to end, whether we'd have finished in a playoff spot or not. But I think they're missing the point. It's the stability. And as we've spoken about already in the first two shows, we're just a couple of new additions away to this existing thing to take us to the next level. And I think once clubs realise the mess that Scottish football is in, no one's going to be laughing at us at getting this business done early. No, and, and like I said to you, you know, the club are quite right to do that, particularly with the formal scheme in place. You know, get these players in, get them signed, get the contributions to their wages. We don't really need to worry about that until potentially the season begins. So, you know, it's, it's a good shrewd move by the club in terms of financially. It's a good shrewd move by Darren again, getting these players in, making sure that they're not sniffing about or there's no club sniffing about them when they, they've got that possibility to go elsewhere. So, no, I mean, look, you can laugh at us if you want, if you think that... Um, you know, we're, we're happy with signing players that got us mid-table. But, I mean, we, we beat Rafe Rovers comfortably last season, full-time team. You know what I mean? We, we beat Fol- uh, we've, we've played well against Falkirk mm. in the games that we played then, full-time team. You know, they've got Connor Salmon that's played in the Premiership. Yep. So, you, you know, you've, you've got to think about, you know, where we are as a club and compared to the money that the Rovers and, and Falkirk are spending um, or have spent, you know, I think that to get these quality part-time players secured is a, a great achievement in itself. It's also a testament, I think, as well, to the kind of dressing room that Darren Young has built. 
because players are wanting to stay at the club. And it's not always been that way. We have been a team that has had some crazy turnover over the years. It's something Gary will, will talk about from his time at the club as well. And keeping hold of players has always been something difficult. So I think it shows players have bought into what Darren Young is doing. It shows that East Fife is what we've always wanted it to be. It's a community club. It's a family. And players feel part of that family. And I think it's just a, a, a great acknowledgement of that for everyone that's, that's been responsible for building that. Yeah. I mean, even now, um, if we look at the GoFundMe page, that's had a, 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 over £11,000 yeah. of donations now, which is absolutely tremendous. And, you know, I, I want to say it again, you know, we are a family at East Fife, we are a community, and it just shows that the fans are behind us. But um, on top of that as well, to, to have a new sign-in, um, um, welcome to the club, Thomas Collins, um, mm. obviously having signed with us a pre-contract in February, um, scoring 19 goals for BSC Glasgow um, last season, including one against us in the, the Scottish Cup, shocker. Um, so it definitely is a good sign-in. I mean, he's someone I, I don't know much about at all. The only time I've really seen him play was in the Scottish Cup games uh, that were on TV and the one against East Fife. But no matter what level you're at, to score 19 goals shows you're a proven goal scorer. He's only 23. He's had previous experience uh, in Scottish football with, with Queen's Park. So he's got a lot still to learn, but I think this is an exciting talent. Now, I, I don't know if Darren Young sees him coming in as a starter, if he sees him coming in as an impact player off the bench, I'm excited to see what he can do with the team. And he could be this kind of missing link that we've needed just to get us a little bit over the line that I've talked about. Yeah, but not only that as well, is is, is there much difference between Lowland League and League One? I'm not sure that there is a massive difference. Or There'll be a bit, but I, I, I would hope teams in League One are operating at a higher level quality-wise than, than Lowland League, for, for example. But you've got the likes of Kelty Hearts, who obviously spent, spent big. We saw like BSC, how well they did in the Cup. I mean, they even give yeah. Hibs a little bit of a, a run for their money in that game. I mean, yeah. that was a, an exciting game. So, yeah, there's not a huge difference. And, I mean, but when we signed Fash... Folk would have said, why, why are you saying that guy that's been playing amateur or whatever? Look, to, look what he did when he, when he got his opportunity. So it's yeah. up to Thomas Collins to, to seize this moment now and show that, yeah, there isn't much difference to him and that he can take this goal-scoring form into Scottish league level now. I mean, who knows when we'll see him actually playing on the pitch, but I'm excited to see him when he does. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, going to the, the statement from, from Jim Stevenson this week, um, you know, the difference between the communication and the club now um, releasing statements, I kind of feel like the fans are more, I don't know, thought higher of than, than what we have been under previous regimes. And I think that yeah. Jim Stevenson, um, Dave Marshall, Liam Anderson, uh, these guys have got to, to take the credit for that. They really brought that. And, and you know, I think Gary Naismith um, really helped with the sort of getting the ball rolling with bringing that connection back together with the, the club and the fans. I'd, I mean, let, let's be brutally honest here. Over the years, we 
have had a fan base and I've been guilty for it. And I know when the forum was around an AFTN, we were guilty for stoking it as well. We've had some shit disturbing fans that moan nonstop and get on the, the, the players' backs, our own players' backs. It's like we've had that over the years. We're not alone. It seems to be the nature of, of Scottish football. That's something like coming to Canada that I've noticed the big difference, like going to Whitecaps games. You get a little bit of like booze or a, a little bit of, oh, what are you doing and shouting at players. But on the whole, supporters over here fully back their teams and they, they don't boo them off the park the same way. Although part of that goes back into what I was talking about last week in passion and, and what the club means to you. But we have had some, some bad moments as fans in the past. And I think there was always a lot of animosity between the board and the supporters. Some of it very merited on the supporters' side as well during the Derek Brown years, for example. But I mean, from the late 2000s into the 2010s, there's been a big, big difference at the club. And I think there's a lot more respect and there's a lot more understanding as to how difficult it is for the board to operate. And social media has helped because the club can now get out there and put things across. Yeah. And they've been way better. They've got a media team now. They've got EFTV and you're getting a better insight into what, what the club can do. And I bring it back to the whole family thing. I, I think the fans have bought into it more now. But the communication from the club has been top-notch. And Jim Stevenson's statement, I mean, it addressed a, a lot of things. Some of them we'll, we'll look at just now. For example, the club can't set season ticket prices at the moment because of all these reconstruction talks. And we're going to come to, to league reconstruction a bit when we chat to Gary. And then we'll have a little chat about that as well. Because right now, the, the first of August start date that I talked about last week, I, I thought that was for all of Scottish football, but it was only after we recorded the show that I realised that's just for the Premier. We've got no idea when the lower leagues are coming back. So how is a club meant to set season ticket prices when you don't know when they're coming back, how many games they're going to have to play? They don't know what league they're going to, to, to be in. It's fine calling an end to the season and releasing some money, but clubs like East Fife, their bread and butter is from season ticket sales, fans through the gates. It's a very, it's an unsettling and a concerning and a worrying time, I think, for all these teams. Yeah, uh, my only concern is, and I know we're going to talk about this down the line, but that Rangers and Celtic use this opportunity to get to say, oh, this is where the Colt teams will help because we're going to give you yeah. this money, blah, 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 and use that to get their foot in the door. And I think that a lot of clubs will get hypnotised by that. Um, I think what we need to do as fans um, is just make sure that we're supporting the club in whatever way we can. But for example, I've seen online that Celtic are still taking their season ticket monies from yeah. fans. £600 um, is yeah, something that right. I saw on Twitter. Now, the... In essence, no matter where you're sat at Celtic Park, right? So, say for example, you're sat right in the centre circle and you've paid £600 for your season ticket, but you know, Joe Bloggs 20 rows back is only paid £300 for the season ticket, they're going to get the same experience. Yep, exactly. So, that that to me is baffling and it's, it's a completely crazy way that surely there's got to be some sort of initiative from somebody within the club to say, if that was me, I'd be annoyed at that. That would annoy me. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it last week as to what would be the right amount to charge for just streaming only and for season ticket holders and stuff. I mean, at East Fife, obviously, we don't have the problem. It's a flat fee. But yeah, like if, if you've got a, a seat at Ibrox or Parkhead and it's more expensive than because you're down the front row as opposed to the guy way up the back that's maybe even got a bit of a restricted view or whatever. You can't then charge them that for sitting at home and watching on, on TV. I mean, that, to, to even try that just shows the disdain that some of these big teams actually hold for the fans because they know, all right, if that guy walks away, we've got a big queue of folk that's dying to get yeah. season tickets. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, East Fife TV, we've praised it a lot in the, in the first couple of shows and it's been held up amongst lower league teams as the model that clubs should be adopting for its quality. Great commentary, great backstage interviews, and just great presentation skills. And everyone involved in that has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm watching stuff out here put together by professional clubs that is way better. The East Five TV is way better than some of the stuff that, that you're seeing put together out, out here, even by some of the TV companies out here. So, I mean, yeah. East Fife's got it right. And some of the Premier teams need to also look at something like East Fife TV as the way forward, I think. I mean, East Fife TV has been going for a while. And I think that initially it was in Graham Mackay that used to put the, the, yeah. the Graham feeds to get uh, it, the football. It had some teething problems. Excellent job. Yeah, but I mean, for yeah. me watching here, I had some teething problems. There were some games I signed up on that it wasn't streaming well because the Wi-Fi at Bayview wasn't great. But they, they've... They've improved it, and I've not had any issues at all watching it for the last couple of seasons. I mean, obviously, you're in a completely different continent, but I, I spoke about when I was in Spain and, and sitting watching the, the game mm. over there. I didn't get a, a single lag, a single glitch. So, you know, again, praise to the club that they're doing a great job. I must admit, I never thought we'd be sitting um, praising the club in the, the Derek Brown days, or even when Billy, uh, Billy Brown being yeah. their Dunhings. Um, of which, by the way, I'm kind of kicking myself we didn't name the podcast that being places Dunhings. Um, <laughs> that would have been a know, good one. That would have been a good one. You yeah. could do that for an offshoot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When we branch off into other stuff. Yeah, or forget Billy on the show. <laughs> yeah, I, his rant is still one of the most epic things in Scottish football. I remember when it happened, I tweeted it out here to to the folk that follow me on, on my Canadian Twitter account. And folk were just loving it and lapping it up. They were like, I've never seen anything like this. It, it, it rivals Kevin Keegan for like meltdowns in, in front of the camera. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Do you remember the Derek Brown one? He's like, I support East Fife more than you do. I just That's watched that the there. other day again because I've been going through like, because putting lots of stuff up on the site, I've been going through lots of old stuff and I've got so many things on my old computer that uh, I'm trying to dig through and get up in the site. So we're going to have a few little surprises. There's going to be a lot of stuff that folk haven't seen for years, photos, videos, things like that. Even going back to the, the stuff that I, I did for Soccer AM when we filmed some games at Strindra and Berwick. So I've got all that. A lot of it's on VHS and stuff, but that's stuff we're going to put together. But yeah, fantastic stuff. But talking about fantastic stuff, let's get to our feature interview to tonight's show now. It's a, a man that has played for six clubs over the years. He's represented Scotland. He's played in the Scottish Premier. He's played in the English Premier. He's been capped 46 times for Scotland. He's managed at East Fife. He's managed at Queen of the South. Gary Naismith. 
he's a guy with a lot of stories to tell, and I'm sure he's going to do that for you right now. So delighted to say we're joined now by Gary Naismith. First thing really to ask you, Gary, is we're a few months into lockdown. How's it been for you? What's this week 11 that we follow, is it? Uh, <laughs> like most people, I'd imagine, you know, obviously I'm on follow myself for Harps, um, so you can't really have any contact for anybody at the club. And like most right. people, I think you have, um, you have some good days where you just get by and you think, you know, this isn't too bad, you're getting 80% of your money for not really doing anything. And then you have bad days where you think, oh, this is like five weeks, six weeks, when's it going to change? I'd imagine the majority of people are like that. Um, we've had a full house. <laughs> I've got a 21-year-old, well, my daughter's 21, Nicole, so she was sitting at, she sat at last exams in the house, really. She's in her third year at university, at Exeter University, studying uh, economics and politics. So she sat that. My middle daughter needs just waiting on some results coming back so that she can hopefully get a place at university in Edinburgh. And Charlie, is, uh, he's in third year at school, and his school has been good. They have to log in every morning. They get work sent at various times of the day. So he's been keeping going. But more, more days than not in the 11 weeks, there's been the five of us in the house. So it's been, it's been full on. I'm, I can imagine. It's like, it's just such an unsettling time for so many folk just now. And we'll, we'll have a little bit of a look at that as we go through everything. And you've had such a long career. We'll kind of delve into your career a little bit as well. But we've got to start off with, with your time at East Fife. Now, you had 18 years as a pro, full-time during all of that. You came to East Fife in the summer of 2013 on, on a part-time basis. You came in to the club at a bit of a strange time. Rangers were in the league. There was new ownership. There was a somewhat inexperienced manager in Willie Aitchison. You took a, a big drop at going from full-time at Aberdeen to part-time at, at East Fife. I mean, what were your motivations for the move? Did you see it as maybe just being a, a short-term one initially? And, I mean, let's be honest, when you came into the club, it was maybe not in the best state. It was maybe a little bit of a shambles off the pitch, which is certainly is different from now. Just just talk us through just a, a little bit about that, what, what you felt like when you first walked through the door at Bayview. It was difficult. I, I, listen, I, I would never have changed it. And, I, and I've, I've only got good memories of East Fife. But um, I knew straight away when I went in and they took me in as like a... It was... Well, I originally went just as a player, so I was only training on a Thursday night because I was in at Hearts hoping that I was, I was going to sign at Hearts uh, for the remainder of that season with Lockheed and Billy Brown give their youngsters a bit of experience. I'd been freed by Aberdeen, but... They could never get uh, the transfer embargo lifted. They said, well, why do you not train with us? Go and train with a part-time team on a Thursday night. Play with them on a Saturday so that when the transfer embargo is lifted, you'll be match fit. You'll be able to come in and play if yeah. you need you. But to cut a long story short, I got there. Lockie says, look, uh, uh, I think actually Robbie Nielsen had moved into Hearts. Willie H. asked me to be assistant player manager. I asked Lockie what was happening. He says, guys, I don't think this transfer embargo is going to be lifted for the whole season. So I thought, right, I'll go into East Fife. And within a matter of weeks, you know, Wally had lost his job and I was caretaker manager. But I knew quite quickly that 
with the crowds that were coming in, with the wages that were getting paid. You know, we had full-time players on decent wages. You know, I had some full-time players at Queen of the South that were just on a little bit more than some of the players were getting at East Fife. I knew it wasn't going to work. You know, for example, you're, you're training maybe on a Thursday evening with Liam Buchanan, for example, our, our star striker at the time. Then they're coming back into train on the Friday morning. But then, for example, on the Friday morning, it's bad weather. So I says, right, where do we train? They say, oh, we train up in a school gymnasium on a wooden floor. And I'm thinking, we've got a game tomorrow. How can we train on a wooden floor? You know, so there was things like that that had to get fixed. We didn't have a training venue. We eventually got, um, I can't actually remember, we went somewhere and it was like a third day of pitch. And then um, we actually said to the players, look, we can, and this is fair play to the lads at the time, Auntie, my staff, you know, Doogie Anderson coming for Gala Shields, Paul Hegarty lived a wee bit closer. We actually managed to get a full pitch, but, but we had to train at St Andrews to get it in the winter. So we had players working all day, travelling twice a week to get to St Andrews just so we could train on a proper pitch. So the commitment for them there was incredible. And then anyway, we Ross Campbell, who we had as a player, was quite high up at Orium when Orium started. And I think he pulled a few strings and we managed to get a Tuesday and Thursday evening. The prime slots, I think, at 7 o'clock. Uh, so we had, a, we had one of the best training centres in Europe at the end of it. So if we go going for training on a wooden floor to training at the Orium, which is, a, as I say, a five-star uh, indoor pitch, you know, rate, rated in Europe, it, it just showed you how far we had actually came. There was worrying times, like, you know, there was worrying times when Jim came back in, you know, uh, just the, the financial state of the club, you know, my first thing was I made sure that the players were all protect, all, all joined the PFA and stuff because it was, you know, I don't think Jim and John Donaldson and Davy Marshall and that would have let anything really, really bad happen. But, you know, they, they had to dig deep into their own pockets to keep the clubs going. Yeah. And, you know, winning the league, obviously, got them a bit of money back, selling fast, got them onto like a, a good sound footing and... Aye. I would think for the outside looking in, just with the players that Darren signing, obviously that the club's well run because, you know, he's got a good quality yeah. squad there for a part-time level, you know, and the players that are coming in, without knowing their wages, you don't need to be brains of Britain, you know, they're get, they must be getting paid more than I was paying the players when I was at East Fife, which tells you that the club's obviously getting run properly, that they can afford to do that. Did you have any concerns or hesitations uh, about going part-time after being full-time? Well, as I already touched on, you know, the part, plan was to go part-time, to go back to being full-time at Hearts. Um, but then when it became... And then I joined these five as a full-time player. The rest of that first season, I was, it was still basically a full-time job. The amount of time that I was there, we still had players that were on full-time contracts. So, you know, you had to honour those. And even, but those first six months, as well as having the players full time, I treated it full time. You know, I just we made a little, you know, the boot room that's there now. We 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 made that into a boot room. We done things like that. There was an old gym, an old wooden hut round the back. We went round and got what equipment was salvageable for there and stuff like that. You know, so it was proper proper full on, which I really enjoyed. You know, I enjoyed everything about it. But then, at the start of the next season, where I sort of, you know, unfortunately that first season, I couldn't keep the club up, um, even after 
you know, winning the first game away to Stirling Albion, you know, not to keep them up was a bit of blow. And I got uh, and I got another chance really with the club there to, to go and build my own team. And it got to that stage really where I thought I looked at it, you know, with a great lot of people there at the club that I gave a lot to the club over several years. You know, people like Stoney and um, and people like that. And um, I just thought that too many people had been at the club for too long. So I think at that time, and I'm only guessing towards the end of that season, because we were signing players, you know, Lee Murray, the chairman at the time, was letting me bring people in, Stephen Hughes and that. We are just trying to, just anything to keep us up, really. But at the end of the season, the squad was far too big. And I had to think about it. And, and I think... I think we only kept five players or something out of 20-odd players. You know, I think we kept Stevie Campbell, Fash, Ross Brown, but they were just babies, really. I, I honestly can't even remember who else we kept. It was... But I know it wasn't a lot. I thought, no, we need to try and get... We need to bring in new people, go with players that I thought that could do the job. And that was a difficult thing because I, I didn't really know League, League Two and League One football. Obviously, down in England, you pay as much attention as you can to the Scottish game, but the coverage is really just on the Premier League. And when I came back, you know, Aberdeen, I was, it was a Premier League. So I didn't really have a great... So I could only really sign players on video footage, people's um, recommendations for the five or six months that we had watched, that we had been manager the previous season. So... I thought, you know, no, I'm going to try and bring my own team in, you know, and we've done okay, you know, uh, I think I think we got to the playoffs actually that first season, I think we lost to Stenhouse Muir, um, and we unearthed, you know, some really good players along the way, like Julian, you know, Julian X de Bouguer, and an incredible signing how that came about, <laughs> and um, so we had the really good players, and we had started building up networks with people, uh, getting good loan players into the club, we had the training facilities fixed that I've already touched on. I, th- I think by that stage, Jim Stevenson had came back in as chairman. I'm, I, my timelines are a wee bit, but everything was just starting to turn the tide for me. But unfortunately, you know, the main thing we're getting promoted, we never got the club promoted, but there was positive, real positive signs there. I felt towards the end of that season that everybody was pulling in the same direction, which wasn't, which wasn't the case when I first went in. I thought the fans... Uh, the players, the committee. I, I didn't think we were all pulling in the same direction. I'm not saying who was right, who was wrong. But towards the end of that, that first full season in charge, I definitely felt, even after we had lost the playoff and I was disappointed, I definitely felt we were on the right track and that the squad only needed little adjustments to get it right. And I think if that, I think we would be signed five or six players and then, you know, we won the league game won the league in that second season, which was obviously fantastic. So I, I generally thought for the minute I walked into the club to the minute I left, I thought, looking back, everything, although sometimes you had some disappointments along the way, I think that everything went on an upward curve. The quality of players that are left behind, the training facilities, the state of the club financially, on the pitch, off the pitch. I think that, you know... I. I walked away thinking, you know, I've gave the club everything I could give them for two and a half years. Uh, and, and they gave me loads as well, you know, they gave them a first chance. They stuck by me when I didn't, I wasn't able to keep them up. They gave me another chance when they seen the progression we're making when we got beaten in the playoffs. Um, and then 
you know, so it was great to really reward them because I got a lot of support along the way as well. And I would say that about East Fife, you know, Darren would probably reiterate that now. You know, he's been there numerous years. They're only in the habit of sacking managers East Fife. You know, they, they give you time that, and unless it's something that's really, really going wrong, you'll get time there at a decent amount of time where you should be able to put your own stamp on the club. It kind of came at you a little bit of breakneck speed, I guess, getting into management. Was that always the plan for you, though, as your career wound down, that you wanted to get into management? No, not, uh, not until I was about 29 or 30. I, and I was, I was injured at the time and I was watching a lot of games and some things that the manager done, I would think, mm, I wouldn't have done that, or how he spoke to players. And I thought, you know what? And this is something I maybe want to get into. So... Basically, straight away, I started my, my coaching badges. At that time, I, I think I was at Huddersfield, and I couldn't, they were quite fixing their dates to Scottish FA, and I couldn't make the dates. I don't know if I had a holiday booked or whatever, but I couldn't make the date. And Lee Clark, who was my manager, and I knew him, had said, um, I, don't, I do some, uh, like, coach Ed for the Northern Ireland FA. Do you want me to see if I can get you on the course? I said, that'd be great. So I went over there, I managed to go on it, and I'm quite a loyal person like that. They were good. They looked after me. And I just really hit it all at once over five years. I went with two years in the B, two, the B, the A, and the pro license. Five or six years, I've just done it continuously. So by the time I got to 35, 36, I had the pro license. So it wasn't until later in my career that I thought about it, really. But, you know, it's very difficult to get the amount, not just the money, but the amount of time and effort that you've got to put in to get your badges. It's difficult, it's demanding, especially when you're over in Ireland for a couple of weeks at a time in the summer. It's, it's full on. I'm just going to bring you back a wee bit to East Fife, Gary, if you don't mind. So um, you spoke about one of your signings there and, and Julian Exterbeguera, and I hope to God I pronounced that right. But, you know, at, at your time, ask, what signing would you say is the one that stood out for you the most? Yeah, there's a few, you know, like, you look at, like, for example, listen, not all the signings did work out, but I think we got the majority of the signings right, you know. Some came in the short term and helped us, some were there a bit longer. You know, you think of people like Jason Kerr, Jonathan Page, you know, the sort of backbone of your team, but I think probably the one would be Kevin Smith. You know, he still at the club now, he, I think seven years, for, I think it's seven years or six or seven years and he signed another deal. And he was just everything you'd want in a, a person at your club that you're trying to build it around. You know, he eventually got the captaincy and he, he ran the changing room for me, knew what I wanted. He was a good lad. I liked him as a person, but he was a top, top player. You know, he could play numerous positions. He had been full time. I think that first year that uh, when we never stayed up against them, um, against Stirling Albion. I know I think a lot of people's eyebrows were maybe raised that I left Liam Buchanan out and played Kevin and Kevin hadn't really scored any goals, I know, but I think I've got one of the good pictures that I've got is when he scored against Clyde in the playoff game and they actually ran to me. So we had a good bond, you know, he's still somebody that I keep in touch with now. I'll meet up with him every now and then, go for a pint. But he's, uh, I think looking at the, the lengthy time that he was there for me and still at the club, I think you would have to say that Kevin's, uh, Kevin's uh, in the... Well, I wouldn't say the most important signing, but probably value for money, Kevin's been the best signing that I brought to the club. And, and Kevin Smith, you know, still being there, he'll, he'll probably be one of the fewer players in Scotland that probably coming up to a testimonial. So, he's, you know, he's done a great job at us and continues to do so. And, you know, 
I, I genuinely had written down here, Julian was who I thought you were going to say. So there you no, go. because listen, see for just see for when I looked at Julian the first time he came to us, honestly, it was one of these you thought it was like a candid camera moment. You were like, ah, somebody's pulling a leg here. Literally, was a phone call for Alan Preston. Gary brought this lad over. He was in the Real Sociedad squad. Um, Champions League, I think, 2012 or 2013. He never played a game for them, but anyway, he's been there since he was 13 or 14. He's a very clever lad. He's in his last year, his degree. He has, he's, he's sort of packed in the football a little bit. He's coming over to Scotland to complete his degree. I can't get him in anywhere. Would you let him come in and train me? I said, yeah, no problem, Biscuits. Tell him to come in. Honestly, he came in. It was like the, the players were like, the mouse just dropped open in that. It was like, wow. Who's this lad? And what a gentleman. You know, he was an absolute gentleman. We, we, had, we, we had no money to sign him. Uh, we, 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 we couldn't, he was there for a couple of months first, just getting his expenses because we couldn't sign him as an amateur. Or we could sign him as an amateur, I think it was, but you can't play an amateur in a league game. So we had to wait in the transfer window opening up in the January to register as a professional. And I could be wrong, I think he signed for £50 a week. It was incredible. He just was over to do his work and he just wanted to play football and he was a he was a diamond dear boy. Like he like I think when he left or he or his mum or that came over, he brought me like all Spanish meats and cheeses and stuff like that as a thank you. And he's thanking me and I should we were trying we should have been thanking him. Uh, but uh, and him his ability was a uh, different class. He was definitely class. He absolutely strolled it at that level. And, you know, you're watching, you know, some of the good, good, good players, you know, Bobby Lennon, players like that, trying to get a Julian and Julian just being complete in control. And, you know, another person he touched on, Johnny Page, was, a, was another great sign. And, you know, I think our back line when you were the manager was definitely one of the best back lines in my lifetime anyway. Well, when you think about that one that, won the league towards the end or that got established really you know you had Liam Kelly that was in goals you know we had several goalkeepers in my time but Liam was in when we won the league you know so Liam's went on to Livingston and then at QPR Scott Mercer been, definitely been a success since he went to Queen of the South you know I'm surprised that Scott will get a club no problem you had Big Page Jason Kerr who's now the captain of St Johnston and myself so you know it wasn't a bad back five <laughs> Um, no, that was definitely for, good. for the rest of the team to go and play. No, I mean, Jason Kerr for me is surely going to be a Scotland cap. Yeah, he's, he's got everything, you know. And I think, um, obviously, just looking for a far, for whatever reason, I think his form was up and down a little bit at the start of this season. I don't know if that was because of the captaincy, you know, the weight of the captaincy, that maybe I've had nothing to do with it. But for whatever reason, you know, just the bits and bobs that I've seen, he wasn't the Jason that I remembered, but he's obviously which shows he's got a great mental strength. He's came through that, and again, he was back to putting in the performances that we, all these fan, FICE fans would expect him to put in towards the end. And, you know, it was no, no coincidence that when Jason's performances uh, got better, St. Johnston's results got better, you know. So I think St. Johnston's the right club for him at the moment. I think they've been great for his, for his development, but I'll be astounded if Jason's still at St. Johnston in the next two or three years. Don't mean that disrespectful to St Johnston. I just think that he's destined to go into a bigger, a bigger club. Definitely agree with you there, mate. Um, so in terms of any signings you were close to making, maybe as these five fans that we didn't know, maybe a, a name that would have shocked us. Is there anything like that? 
Uh, I don't think there was, you know. I generally tried to go for targets that I thought we had a chance of getting. Um, not, nothing's coming to my mind. What I would say is that in the first year, that first five or six months, looking back, which you can do, I probably panicked a wee bit because I was trying to stay up on that and I was probably signing players that I'd maybe only seen once or twice. And I, I, I probably never done enough research into them on and off the pitch and stuff like that. It was, it was more, you know, just trying to get people in, somebody to give us that spark to keep us up. So looking back now, I probably rushed in and made too many signings in that first five, four, five months. When I, excuse me, when I had the summer to really have a think about what I wanted and how I was going to go, I think for there on in, we got the majority of the signings right. Um, and again, time's a great thing, you know, looking back, I went in these five jobs, I wanted to give it everything, I, I stopped playing, you know, and then it was actually the players came to me the start of the next again season, because I was still joining and training that a wee bit. And a couple of players came to me and said, Gaffer, we think it, you could help us on the pitch as well. And I thought, oh, I'm not too sure about this, because I'd stopped playing for about four or five months, but I'd always kept myself fit, I'd been doing my training. But... Uh, I think the first game I went back was actually up against Arbroath in that sort of first full season that I had in charge and I played against Bobby Lynn. I'd done okay and I just sort of played from there on in. And it's something that I'll never know. I don't know if that would have helped the players the year that we got relegated, if it would have actually helped looking back now being on the pitch. You know, Paul Hegarty was forever at me saying, you need to play. Your experience on the pitch, you can talk to them. You know, you'll be able to help them without actually touching the ball. Heggy was always at me, your experience will be able to help him on the pitch. And looking back now, it's a wee bit of regret that I've got that I didn't actually play that first season. But as I say, I had my reasons. I wanted to go on. I wanted to, I thought my career was coming to an end. I wanted to give the man, I wanted to give East Fife everything as the manager. And I wasn't sure I'd be able to do both the jobs. But obviously, and even at that time, looking back, I don't know if I'd have been able to do that, both jobs because that first five or six months was full on. You know, like, the players, the players were training full time, so when would I have trained? I couldn't have joined in training with them when you're taking the train. I had a lot of stuff to fix off the pitch. You know, we, we, you know, we never really have a scouting system in place. I had to get Marco in. We eventually got an analyst in with Jamie. Uh, we had to change goalie coaches. I had to get we had a couple of physios in. Everything needed <laughs> that you can think you needed. So I don't actually know if I'd have been able to play because... When I did go back to play, everything off the pitch had sorted, the staff was sorted, everything was sorted, sorted off the pitch, so I didn't have as much going on in my mind, so I'm not sure if I'd have been able to do it, but it is something that I, I sometimes think about, would it have helped the players if I'd actually been on the pitch? I think there's obviously that sort of contrast, um, not that I'm a football manager, but I'm a manager in my actual job, and you get caught between wanting to do it for them and wanting to teach them how to do it themselves as well. So you get that sort of, you know, teach a man how to fish sort of thing. Well, everybody um, said to me, the difficulty you will have is the players that you're going to coach, the majority of them won't be able to do what you could do with the ball. That was never, I, I honestly never ever found that a problem. I was quite clear with them as long as they, listen, I loved a laugh and a joke. The lads will tell you that. Um, but when we came to work, we worked. You know, when you come to training, we're training because I only get you an hour and a half and everything's got to be bang on. So we need to be on the training picture. If it was seven, if you're injured, you need to get in touch with George. I'll say George because George was the most recent physio. You need to be in touch with George. 
and he'll give you a time to come in and see him before training. If you're injured, he'll tell you what time you have to come in because I also had George doing the first 20 minutes of the warm-up. I thought that was a good thing for him to get a bond with the players. So George doing the first part of the warm-up. The main Dougie had everything set up because you had to have... You didn't have time to say, right, lads, wait there 10 minutes to go and get the next thing set up. I had to just literally go bang, bang, bang because you only had them. So I just say to them, as long as you come in, and you, get, and you give me your all every day in training, every game will be fine. So I never ever, I never ever had a problem in terms of player what they could and couldn't do. The only problems I ever had is if I thought somebody was mucking about or wasn't putting their all in, or if I didn't think getting beat on a Saturday meant anything. And I mean, you know, we did have a great group of players when I first took over, but my gut feeling was telling me some of them have been here that long that. A defeat isn't hurting them how it should hurt them, because they know that they're going to be playing again the next again the next again week, and I, that you can't have that, you know, the, a defeat. And I'm listen, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they weren't hurting when they got beat. Far from it, you know. I know people like Stoney and that were, were hurting, you know, they were East Fife boys, local boys, but I just felt we just needed to everything needed to change on and off the pitch. We obviously had that contingent of boys from France, um, Cedric Tuta and Alexis Duto, and very quickly after you came in, they disappeared. What was the sort of reasoning for that? Well, you know, listen, the boys were on good money for each five, you know, but in terms of good money for them to live as full time, they were struggling as well. You know, I remember Big Cedric, and listen, they both had ability in different ways. You know, Big Cedric, when he showed you his flashes, he... he you know, if he could have been more consistent, you, you had a player on your hands there. But I remember Big Cedric, for example, coming into me one day, like, f- frozen, and, he, and he, like he was shaking. I said, what's wrong? He's like, the heating's broken on the flat that we're in. It's been like that for three days. We don't know how to get it fixed, blah, blah, blah. So you had problems like that that you were dealing with, you know, but if they didn't tell you that, you... So I just thought, like, for them, for, for the... You know, I can't even remember what Cedric and Alexi were earning. And, and you know it's no more. I don't mind telling you Julian's because I just think it showed you what type of a lad he was. But for what you know, the club were having to put their lads in, in digs. We were giving them a decent wage. I just thought we could get better value for money. You know, I Fair thought enough. we could maybe get four players for maybe their two players or something like that, or three for two. So that was the thinking about it. It was nothing to them doing French or anything like that. It was just when. When I had those four or five months to assess how much we were spending on players and all of that, and then I just thought, you know, we're, we're wasting money here. We're, we're really, we're wasting money. Because with the greatest respect at that stage, East Fife could never be a full-time club, in my opinion. It just wasn't set up. There wasn't enough money coming in. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think that, you know, we probably are at our level in terms of being part-time. You know, we don't get massive crowds, although we do well for where we are, um, you know, I, I think that most fans will tell you that we're probably pretty comfortable being part-time. Yeah, um, but, but, but on that as well, you know, if the club can get into the championship, I don't know, you would probably have to guess, and I'm just guessing, you know, I do still speak to, to Jim, the chairman, um, but I would guess the first year or two, you know, they would they would go part-time if they could, like our growth and that, and Alo, and they've done great, these two clubs, I'm sure you can be done, but... It's just what works for every club, eh? Because if you, it depends who you're in the championship with, eh? The year that the clubs were in the championship and you had Rangers, Hibs and Hearts, you could have went full-time for that season because you know the amount of crowds that are going to come that they're going to bring. Mm. But again, you know, East Five, 2,000, you know. So, 
I'm not really sure, you know, I, I would hate to sit here one day and say East Fife will never ever be a full-time club, you know, I don't, I, I don't like that thought, you know, I want people to think above and beyond and I hope that one day, you know, whenever that may be, I'll be able to go and watch a game where East Fife are a full-time club, but when or if that can happen, I don't know. Well, especially in the current pandemic, we don't even know when we're going to get back to see a game. But I'm going to ask you another question, and, and it's one that sticks in my mind when I think about your time at the club. When I seen your face when we won that league and the, the sheer emotion that you had, um, I know that you were going through um, some, some stuff personally, but you know that showed me as a fan, or us as a fan base, how much winning that title meant to you. Where does that rank in terms of your sort of career achievements? Yeah, obviously as a managerial, it's it's the biggest thing. In terms of what I've achieved overall, it's right up there. You know, I'm quite a, a blunt person, if you want. My wife will tell you I'm half empty, but even when we won the league, and this sounds stupid, <laughs> I only ever thought to myself, I've only took them back to where I inherited them. You know, that's, that's like my mindset. But then when I actually sat down, the club was night and day. We were maybe only back into League One, but on the pitch and off the pitch, it was it, we were night and day. So that made me happy, really. But yeah, the emotion, well, the emotion, because, you know, getting relegated, um, I could be wrong here. I think that's the only time I've been relegated in my career. Um, so that's never nice, you know, and to have it on your CV as a manager when you're just trying to make your way, that, that was a, a worrying thing, you know, because, you know, then you've got to, really make up the, the ground the next again season. And I put a lot into it the next again season as well and we just fell short. So I probably needed to for us to get promoted that last season, you know, and I'm, I'm I don't know if the club would have gave me a third season, you know, you a third full season. You need to ask you need to ask the chairman that, but it's very unusual you get three years in a job without achieving a promotion. Um and, and you're still in the job. So I probably knew that I had to deliver that year. I knew we had a good team. But obviously playing, managing, I had the ongoing stuff with my dad with his motor neuron disease. Yeah, it just it was just it wasn't a it wasn't a stressful time, but it was just a, like you said, just that day, just a lot of emotion. It was like that's one job I've achieved now. I've got them promoted, we've won the league. That I can forget about that for a wee while now, you know, and then just focus really on my dad. That that was sort of like my, if you're on about the relief, that was sort of where it was like, I've done that, the fans are happy, the chairman's happy, the players are happy. I can let go of that for a wee bit now. I, th- I think, I mean, the, the football and stuff that we played in, in that year, I mean, and Michael, I'll tell you, he's a, he's a good bit older than me, Michael. Um, but, you know, that was the, the second title that I'd seen his Fife win in my lifetime. And, you know, that, for, for yourself, you, you know, you're sitting saying, I've only taken them back to where I've got them. But as a fan base, we're like, finally, we've seen us lift another trophy. Yeah. So, um, the, um, I all remember David Marshall saying to me, and I, I always listen, you know, and you know, the thing was as well, when I got to that, we had so much help, you know, like not just my staff, people like Monty, the kit man, David Brody, wee Tam that used to be coming on the training when we were training at um, Bayview and he would keep the soup up in that for the players and then just off his own back he'd go into his own pocket for training at, uh, at uh, Orium and he would bring through some donuts for the players and that. So, Leona, you know, I, I, I knew the biggest thing that I'd done that helped me at that club was I got everybody 
to believe in what I was trying to do. And the biggest example I could give you that is, I know if I phoned Leona at 12 o'clock at night, she would answer the phone. She would think, Gary's phoning, I need to answer the phone. Uh, Monty, Dave Brody, uh, John Keddy, uh, they would come in my office. I'd let them come in the office before the game. Dave would come and get a bowl of soup. Dave would come back in after the game and, and get whatever food was left in that. I liked that. At the start of the, the, the two full seasons I had, I took all the players and the staff to my local uh, the Lonehead Miners Club and we went about one o'clock and we had pool competitions, darts, and we mixed them with the regulars. You know, if you got drawn with a regular, you got drawn. We got, uh, we got food delivered. Then the players went up the town and had it continued on the night and me and the, me and the, like the, the board and the staff stayed in the Miners Club and had a day and we'd done that both seasons. So that was really, you know, that was really important. So I think the biggest factor is I could get everybody buying into what I was trying to achieve so that when we did hit the, 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 the difficult times, I had all of that support to fall back. And that's what I was touching on that when I walked in, I, didn't, I, don't know if it, I don't know if it felt like that for all of them, you know, but as we were getting nearer that season that we won the league, I could, I could feel it for them. They were feeling it. wow, we, we're on the, the way of doing something special here. And, they had, and it was good because, and I wanted them, they all felt like they played their part, you know, and then we won the league, we all went to Magaluf, the board and the players and the and the staff, you know, 20, play, 20 people or something going through one club, it's, it just showed you the team spirit that we had actually built, so I think that was probably the, 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 the biggest thing that we had actually, that we actually done, but... I got more joy out of other people. See, for me, and, I, and I, this isn't it, it's not something that I forget that. Right, we've done it. Right, we're into League One now. Who we got? Who are we keeping? Who's under contract? Who do we need to get tied down? Who do we think? Mm, they done okay in League Two, but we're going to need better players in League One. My mind was already on to the next thing, but I enjoyed watching like um, all the people that I've just mentioned, Monty, Leona, Dave, Tam, and I've probably not mentioned some of them. Um, or the committee, or the board that I, I, I was there. I went to a board meeting every Tuesday. I seen it. I seen the money that they had put into their own pocket to keep the club going and stuff like that. So I took more satisfaction of the pleasure and the satisfaction that they got to us winning the league than I actually got like for myself to say, "Oh, my league winning manager." For me, great. But quite quickly, I was already on to right. Who, who are we going to get for the next season? Who are we keeping? You've had a few years now, I guess, since, since that was won. But like forties five fans, you you you're down in history because we've only won three league titles. One of them was by the legend at Scott Simon. So I mean, you're in a very exclusive yeah. club. So I mean, do you- listen, I hope I honestly hope that Darren joins us. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want the club, I want the club to do well. I really do. Actually, I I got away from what I was going to say to there about winning the league. This will. These things I remember, like Dave Marshall uh, days, who oh, I don't know, he's Mr. East Fife, you know, he'd come in and tell me exactly what the weather was going to be and when it was going to change and stuff like that, great. Something he said to me stuck with me, he says, Gary, we've won it two or three times, he says, but I'm telling you, in my opinion, only in his opinion, yours was the greatest success because of the budget that you've done it on and the things that you were up against. Yep. Because we didn't have, I don't know what the teams were had budgets in that league, but I would be pretty sure we had middle to bottom. Yeah, probably. So, so things like that, 
sort of play up how significant it was. When a man as old as that that's watched his fight all these days says to you, listen, this is the, for me, this is, in my opinion, this is the best one, then I take, I take something for something like that being said. Yeah, I mean, definitely. The, the crazy thing is, I've watched East Fife since 1984. And then as soon as I emigrated to Canada, they've won two league championships. So I, I think I was the jinx. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just stay don't over here. Back. I won't come back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you had three and a half years uh, as the manager at, at East Fife. And we got a question from Glenn Walker, who was asking... Did you feel, like when you, when you left for Queen of the South, did you feel that you had taken the club as far as you could have taken them? Or was it just that, that lure of full time? Looking back now, I can give you two different answers. At that time, I thought, how much further am I going to be able to take the club? So that was in my mind. But it was also in my mind that because my stock was quite high and a lot of full-time jobs, I'd sort of be, I'd been liked where or... I, Nothing had really happened for me. I was actually thinking to myself, if I don't take this, when's the next full-time opportunity going to come? So there was a wee bit like that. So this is what I'm going to say to you here is going to sound stupid, and, but I don't regret going to Queen of the South because in the main, again, we went in. They, I think they were on a bad run. and lost seven or eight in a row. Steady the ship. We finished sixth. Next season, again, working with one of the lowest budgets in the league, probably the bottom four budgets in the league, we finished sixth. Then in the third season, my second full season, but my third season, the January, we're fourth in the league. We've got through the Betfred Cup in the group st- out the group stages. Only St. Johnston beat us an extra time. And we're into the last 16 of the Scottish Cup against Aberdeen, televised. I get manager of the month on June, January the 30th. So again, very similar to these five, sort of upward curve. Then we have a runny, we only win one game in 11, and I lose seven on the bounce, and I lose my job. Aye. And I think to myself, understand why, because it, timing's a lot in football. If I had lost those seven games, maybe middle of the season, I don't think I'd have lost my job. But because we were going and you've maybe got to go into the relegation playoffs and stuff like that, so I understand it. But I don't think it was right, given again, I was working with one of the lowest budgets that year again. And in January, we're sitting fourth. So, you know, if this, if you if you want, you know, if, this, if you look at it, you know, if, if the, if the coronavirus had hit last year, I would probably still have been at Queen of the South, fourth or fifth in the league, and everybody would be going on about me getting linked with bigger and better jobs. Aye. And, and, and because I had a bad run, and it was a bad run, listen, there's no getting away from that, and I made some mistakes in that run. Um, I just don't think I deserve to lose my job because the majority of the time I was at Queen of the South, I think it was... I think it was a successful time, you know, last season, you know, you're beating Air United 5-0, Ross County 4-0. Um, as I say, getting through the group stages, uh, the Betfred Cup, bringing money into the club there, getting a lot, beating Dundee in the Scottish Cup, then uh, after a replay, going to Aberdeen, getting on the TV. So 
he must have brought in, I don't know, 150, 200,000 pounds to that club just with eight cup runs in the last. So, so it does hurt a little bit, even though I understand it. So I don't regret leaving his fife. I don't regret taking the Queen of the South job. But now looking back, being a little bit older and experienced, the one thing that I got wrong was, I think I could have took his fife further. I think my thinking at that time was wrong. I think I could have took them further. Especially now, I see how the club have progressed in terms of the quality of the squad. And what I mean by that is the finances that are obviously better at the club. You know, I know they sold a bit of land and stuff like that. And so obviously the club are running, I wouldn't say far better because we were running better when I left. But the finances are improving year on year which is allowing Darren to build a, a stronger squad, you know. And if you look at his fine squad, that, that, that's, that's stronger than the squad that I had that won the league. Um, so when you now see how the club's moved forward in two and a half years, three years, I now think to myself, I was maybe a wee bit early leaving there. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you talked about maybe one day they could go full time and that you could maybe have taken them further. What do you think it, it would take for a club like East Fife to take that next step? Is it just about investing and, and having better players? Or do, do you not necessarily need to spend to establish yourself as, say, a championship team? Well, you do really. You know, the, the difficulty is, you know, our cows were um, at Queen of the South, for example. We, we had one of the lowest budgets in the league. I think that's, I, I don't know that for a fact. I think that. And we were surviving on crowds, you say, 1,500, 1,600. But what could support that was um, Queen of the South have got an arena. So there's like uh, five side pitches inside. There's a cafe. There's something that's been converted into shops so people can rent out the shops and that. So the income for that sort of makes up the difference to being a part-time, a full-time club. But if, if you were saying to me, just based on crowds, say five sold out their home ground, every game as a full-time club, I don't know if 2,000 fans would be enough to let you go full-time. And what? And, I, and I'm only thinking in terms of players, because, say, let's, and I'll just say hypothetically, let's just say you, we're East Fife and we're getting into the championship, and we say to a player, we can't pay like other championship clubs, but we can make you our best paid player in the club's history on £500 a week, right? Let's just say that. I'm just saying hypothetical. 500 right? And let's just say, uh, let Montrose or next these five in the league. But let's just say Montrose say to that same player, all right, you're getting 500 full time, but we'll give you 300 part time. I'm just hypothetical here. And the player can get another job during the day, Monday to Friday, and get mm. himself £500. So that player can now be a part-time player on 800 or a full-time player on 500 Now, if you're a single person, you've not got a lot of outgoings, you always take the 500 and give yourself a chance of being a full-time football player. But if you're that 25, 26, and you've got a mortgage and a child and a wife, you can't afford to turn down an extra £300 a week, which is £1,200 a month. So it then becomes very difficult to attract full-time players on the wages that you could pay them. 
You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's been so much talk with the coronavirus and everything as well that a lot of full-time players might now end up being part-time. I, I generally think, the, my own opinion is, the full League 1 and League 2, when they start back, will be the most competitive they've been for many a year because the amount of players that would normally be full-time that will now drop to part-time will make the leagues even tougher. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we were talking about Scott Mercer there, for example, just earlier. So Scott, you know, Queen of the South, for whatever reason, have released all their players. So Scott's now looking for a club, right? And obviously, it's got to be difficult to get a club until football's back playing. But there's no way Scott Mercer should be dropping back to part-time football. No. He maybe have to drop back to part-time football. And that's what I'm saying. The standard the player that last season or the season before that were playing in the championship, due to the money that clubs can actually pay when they get back playing, maybe think, you know what? I can't afford to be a full-time player on that money. I'm going to go part-time and go and get another job. So I think financially it'll be very difficult for East Fife to be a full-time club while they can only get crowds of 2,000 people at the most. Um, it's, it's going to be so different when football does return. This, this is just my own opinion. I don't think there's got yeah. to be like reserve teams as such. And I would imagine that most clubs, they're good youngsters, are being around the first team. And the youngsters yeah. that are sort of on borderline, they'll probably end up getting released a little bit unfairly just because clubs won't be able to carry players that are sort of on that borderline yeah. that may have got a year's contract to try and prove their worth. I think now it'll just be you're either in the first team squad or you're like the under sort of eight teams. I don't think I, I don't think it'll be like a 19-year-old hanging about the reserve squad, if you know what I mean. I think if you're 19, Aye. you'll need to be in the first team or you'll be away. I think there's going to be a lot of folk on the scrap heap just oh, because there's just... You, no one knows what's coming back. I've been looking at what's going on in England as well. And like League One and League Two, the clubs there are in big shit. Well, I still get the PFA list and it's eh, the Scottish list of players that are available and it just keeps getting added to and added to. That's, that's why East Fife have done so well because East Fife will be one of the only clubs that have actually got the majority of their squad signed up for next yeah. season. And they've actually got the majority of their squad signed for, or they've got four or five yeah. players signed for two seasons. So I have to be fair, he's done well, to be honest, Jim. The chairman, he's done well. They're a well-run club. You can see that because there's no many people that have, that can keep so many players under contract just now. I want to delve a little bit into your your playing career now as well. I mean, the game's changed so much since you started out. You came through Tynecastle Boys Club, Hutchison Vale. When when you look at so many of the the Hearts players over the years, it's like they all came through those two teams. It's like they seem to just produce so much talent over the years. It's like incredible. But I mean, when did you first know that you had what it took to to be a pro? I I didn't even know that when I went in full-time at Hearts. Um, So like most people back in the day, you could train with whoever you wanted. So this this is no word they lie. I can't remember the exact team and the exact night, but my schedule when I was maybe 12 or 13 could be Monday night training with Rangers, Tuesday night training with Tynecastle Boys Club, Wednesday night training with Hearts, 
Thursday night training with Hibs, Friday night training with Dundee United, play with your boys club on a Saturday, play another game on a Sunday. That, that, that's how I was for, until I got to 14, then I signed S form for Hearts. And I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and uh, I think I was maybe 15, 15 and a half, and I, I, I got released from my S form, I asked to get let away. And then um, I was training with, I had narrowed it down that time, I was actually training with Hibs and, and Chelsea. And I can honestly say if Chelsea had been next to home, I'd have signed full-time for Chelsea. Glenn Hoddle was a the manager. They wanted me to sign. At that time, Chelsea, and this just shows you how you never know how your career's going to go. At that time, I was a centre midfielder. Chelsea were playing 3-5-2. I was the middle of the five in midfield. And Glenn Hoddle wanted me in. Um, I, I would go down there maybe every second week and play for the under-18 team when I was maybe 15 or 16. They wanted to sign me. And um, they put, spoke to my dad and put the contract in front of me. You know, and I always remember him saying to me, if I've not got you in my first team by the time I'm 18, I'll have done something wrong as a manager. And actually, actually I joined up with Graham Ricks on LinkedIn the other day. Graham Ricks was actually the coach of the under-18 team when I was there. So it was nice just to touch base with him again. So if they had have been there, I'd have went. So come, but I thought I, I was a wee bit like a home a home bird. I didn't really want to move away. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back up the road. So at that time, Hibs were probably in pole position, but changes happened at Hearts. And Dougie Douglas, who was associated with Tincastle Boys Club when I was there, went into Hearts just as I was making my decision. And I hadn't trained with Hearts since I left. And he just came straight in and says, look, we want you to go full-time with Hearts. And uh, to cut a long story short, I went in full-time with Hearts. So when you go on there at 17, 16 and a half, 17, there's maybe six or seven of your first-year professionals and six or seven first-year YTS and six or seven second-year YTS. I can tell you now, out of that 14, there was at least six or seven better players than me. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they maybe never worked as hard, they weren't as committed. Um, but at that stage, going through that two year and a half, because I think I made my debut for the first team at the end of the second year, although everybody's speaking well and saying it's all going well, you know, you're going well and all of that, until you actually play that first game, you, you, you never ever think, oh, I'm going to be a professional. <laughs> or I've yeah. made it as a professional. So right up till then, really, right up until then. I, I mean, your first game, it, it came after an eventful game, which bizarrely had actually come up in my YouTube recommendations a couple of weeks ago because the Four Hearts guys had got sent off against Rangers. One of them being Paul Ritchie, who's a friend of mine from his time out here in yeah. Vancouver with, it, with the Whitecaps. I'd actually yeah. asked Paul if he had any good stories about you, but he hadn't got back to me before we did this. Uh, you might have dodged a bullet there, I don't know. But I mean, that game, before you made your debut, four guys sent off, it thrust you in the team at, at 17. What, what's your memories of, of that first game? I mean, how, how nervous were you? Well, the, what was happening was, the, I'd played, that was my first start, but I'd made my debut the previous season, the last game of the season. All oh, right. But against Motherwell, um, I got on for, I think, 20 minutes or something, last game of the season. So, what was happening was, at that time, the reserves played on a Saturday like it was like, so if we were playing Rangers, 
at Ibrox, the reserves played Rangers at Tynecastle, like at 12 o'clock or whatever. But I had started missing a couple of reserve games, and the manager, Jim Dreyfus, said, you know, I'm taking you with the first team, you might be stripped, you might be not. So I was generally, so I was at the game at Ibrox, so I was up in the stand, and uh, <laughs> this is one of the, you know, I've started doing a, no after dinner speaking, but I've got up and spoke a couple of times at a couple of functions. This is actually one of the stories I tell. So the first person's got sent off. I can't remember the score. I need to find out properly if I'm going to tell it properly. But first person gets sent off and I'm thinking, oh my God, we're up against it here against Rangers, don't be 10. And then the second person got sent off and it was two defenders. And I thought, oh my, this could be a cricket score. And then the third one got sent off and I started to think myself, We've got a game midweek and, and the rules are if you're saying off, you're suspended. I think it was, oh, see, see by the time the fourth one got sent off, I was actually getting a wee fist pumped. <laughs> I thought, this, there's a big chance I'm going to be playing here. So I was probably about the only Hearts fan that when the third and fourth player got sent off was actually happy, um, inwardly happy. And then uh, Jim Jeffries just... I think he told me the day before that I was playing Jim Jeffries. So he told me the day before. So obviously that night, you know, you're nervous and stuff. And I think at that stage, well, Andy Thorne came in and played, but he never actually arrived until the day of the game. Like, I think he arrived at pre-match meal. So he came up for England and played a patched up team. And obviously, you know, I was a bit nervous because your first start playing against Celtic, you know, the Canio and... I knew I would be right against the Canio or uh, Andreas Tom or Simon Donnelly or somebody like that. So I knew it was going to be a difficult game. But generally the nerves went away once the game started. Uh, as it, as it, you know, I, I always had nerves. Before. Even East Fife against Arbroath, I would have the same amount of nerves as I would if it was Everton against Man United. But once the game started, I generally I was okay. Um, so memories are obviously... I, I, I think I'd used a lot of my energy up uh, like with worry, like nervous energy, because I started to take cramp a little bit, I think, just at the end of the 90 minutes. And then it went into extra time. I was thinking, this is the last thing I need another 30 minutes. Um, but luckily, Robo got us a goal and we held on. And uh, it's a game that everybody sort of remembers. You know, it's one of these, I think it because, I think it's a debut, that, my debut that people remember because of the four people getting sent off the game before. Yeah. So I'll ask you, obviously, did you speak to, to Robbo about coming to East Fife? Because obviously he was with us for a bit. No, I never, um, I never, because it happened that quick, because I was just sort of dealing with hearts to try and keep fit. I only really spoke to Lockie and he says, look guys, if they're offering you a full-time role, I'd take it because of transfer embargo. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take it. And uh, and then, as I say, Wally lost his job two or three weeks after that, Wally Aitchison. And I was caretaker manager, and then two or three weeks after that, I was like, so I never really asked anybody's, um, I think I spoke to, I think I spoke to Davey Weir, you know, I still run a lot of things by Big Davey. Um, I think I spoke to Davey Weir. Um, but no, it was something that, you know, when I thought, I thought, no, I want to be the manager. So um, it just felt right at the right time, really. Although it was maybe a little bit, I wouldn't say rushed, but it happened quite quickly. It just felt right. So we'll go back to the Hearts. When you look back on your sort of career with Hearts, um, obviously winning the Scottish Cup in '98, how would it rank for you that the Scottish Cup with Hearts or winning the league as a manager? Now, 
Mm. Obviously, we're not looking for a biased answer for East Fife. I mean, personally, um, I would probably say winning the Scottish Cup would peak that, but I yeah, think that obviously... Me, see, for me, this is, it's more sitting on the fence. They're both equal because it's an achievement for me, but again, as I've explained to you earlier about the joy I got for all the people at East Fife, I got more joy for all the Hearts fans when we won it like that day, the next again day on um, Princess Street and stuff like that, quarter of a million fans, you know, for some people, for a lot of Hearts fans, it was the first time they'd ever seen their team win a trophy. Um, so, I, again, I, I, I generally find like that, I take, I take more enjoyment for other people's pleasure of the success. For me, I can't, I can't split them, you know. If somebody said to me, I would probably put um, my first Scotland cap in night three as well, you know. So, they're, they're all much about much to me. As well as, you know, people often say to me, what was your biggest achievement when you were in England? My biggest achievement was actually playing in the Premier League for seven and a half years. And, you know, we qualified for the Champions League, great. But the achievement in itself was playing for a club like Everton for seven and a half years because you know, when you look through, there, there isn't many, there is, there's not a lot of Scottish players that can say since the Premier League started that they've played in the Premier League for, for over seven years. So for me, that was an achievement in itself. Funny, obviously, you're touching on the, the Scotland stuff there. When you got your first call, um, you were at Hearts. Do you remember sort of where you were when you got the call up? Yeah, I, I don't remember where I was when I got the call up, but I know that I missed my own stag duty play for Scotland because we were going to Newcastle uh, and I got called up for Scotland and it was the end of the season and Everybody just went on the stag do anyway without me. So they all went away for the weekend and celebrated my stag do. And I was in, I was in Ireland playing for Scotland. <laughs> well, we'll get back so over from Canada and we'll go to the minors with you, mate. And we'll get some of the stag do. I'm, I'm, I'm actually in, in a couple of weeks, I'm coming up for 20 years married. I'll need to remind, remind the wife that I've not had a stag do yet. <laughs> if you come through to Bayview, mate, I'll buy you a pint for your stag, no problem. Um, like just touching again on, on what we spoke about there, but for me as a fan, unless you win the Champions League or, or or something like that, you know, nothing for me would top playing for your country. And I mean, forty six caps for yourself. You know, you touched on it a bit there about the pride that you feel in that. You know, when I look back at your career, I know that it was obviously blighted with injury, um, yeah. and you definitely could have probably been Hall of Fame territory um, had it not been for injury, but. How did, what did that feel like representing your country and, and standing there in the lineup waiting for the, you know, hearing the flower of Scotland being belted out of Hamden? That that was a those sort of moments where it's hard to actually describe. You know, the bit one of the best feelings I had in the best atmosphere was we were playing for Scotland against Italy. It was a five o'clock game. We had to win to qualify. It was a year that we got in the group with France, Italy, Ukraine. You know, like the group of death. And if we had won that game, but it was a five o'clock kickoff, which obviously meant all the fans were in the pubs in that ten o'clock. So the place was absolutely bouncing. And then we just standing there. My mum was at the game. My dad was at the game. My wife, a lot of friends and family, and I knew where they were sitting in that, and I could see them and singing the Flowery Scotland. That was that was a. It was it's definitely. I wouldn't say it's the proudest, but it's the it's the proud moment in my career that comes to mind. Um, and it was just incredible, you know, and it was unfortunate that we couldn't qualify. So I've got two regrets with Scotland. The two regrets that we never qualified for a major finals. And that, um, as you say, with duty injuries, 
I never made 50 caps, you know, I got, I, was, I didn't actually, I got 46, and I think when I was 28, I was on 40. And it wasn't, I, I never actually, I, I, I never really thought about what happened. But looking back, I never got another Scotland cap after I moved to Huddersfield in League One when I was 31. And I, and I never had really thought about it like that. And I'm thinking to myself, my Scotland career should never have came to an end at 31. You know, I was like four caps short of 50. You see people playing international football these days, 35, 36. Aye. So, you know, I, to be fair, you know, and it was Craig Levine was the Scotland manager at the time. You know, me and Craig got on great. It's nothing that I've ever held against him or anything like that. But it's maybe something looking back that I should maybe have phoned him before I went to Huddersfield and says, look, if I move to League One, is this going to have a, an impact on my, on my international career? But I never... I never thought it would, you know. I just thought if I get back to playing how I was playing at Sheffield United because I'd missed the last year of Sheffield United with a cruciate. So I'd only played the last two games of the season. So I should maybe have picked up the phone and asked them that. But, you know, it's, it, it, they two think, not making, a, not making the, 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 a major finals, but the, not to get the 50 caps to get into the Hall of Fame, is, it's, it irks away at me still to this day. It's something that I'm, I'm gutted about, really. You would think that you'd surpassed 50 because, I mean, the longevity of your career and how well you played down in, in England and stuff, I just assumed that you'd made more than that. And then obviously well, when I did my research, it was... Honestly, uh, one, I'll tell you something about the injury is if I had 40 when I was 28, I bet you I pulled out the 30 squads. And if you work on the fact that nearly every squad that I was in, I got capped, I think barn injury I'd have been well above it. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, I'd done my bit. Uh, I'm proud of it. I got 46 caps and 45 of them were starts. You know, there's no many people can say that. So, 45 starts. And what I can also say is, and this really, really winds me up in football, I never missed a game that I, I can't say for definite, but to memory... I can't remember pulling out a Scotland game and then being able to play for my club team on a Saturday. It absolutely does my head in. And I know that the clubs pay the money and all that, but for me, club football never, ever came above playing for your country. No, I think that, obviously, like, boys, for example, when you're saying that, McBurney strikes to my head, you know, like, he'll say, oh, you know, I've got a sore back or whatever, then go and play for his team on a Saturday. So, no, that's a really good point. Um, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that I've never done it, but what I could say for definite is I never pulled out a Scotland game to protect myself from my club team. So, there may have been an occasion where I was injured on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, but I managed to be all right on the Saturday. That may have happened. But I never, ever thought to myself, you know what, I've just missed this Scotland game to make sure I'm all right on Saturday. I think by the sounds of things, obviously playing for Scotland was a, something you take great pride in. I think that looking back at older Scotland squads, we, we capped a lot of players that you know probably weren't as interested in playing for the national team, but it's, it's obviously good as a fan to, to hear how much it meant to you. My memory of your, your Scotland career is that absolute peach you scored against Iceland. So what's your sort of memory of that one and how does it rank in terms of goals you've scored? Obviously, it's very, it's probably, 
because it's for your country, obviously, it's probably the best goal that I've scored. Um, of what means the most to me, I would say. I think from that game, I, I can't remember if I started wing back or I think I ended up playing centre midfield for some reason. And um, I can't even, I think maybe Paul Lambert was playing. I had decent energy anyway, so I thought I could be able to go box to box when I was playing midfield anyway. So um, I remember the ball getting played out wide, and Morris, it was Morris Ross crossed it in, and I was running to get into the box to just to get into the box, but the, he sort of played the ball behind us. So I remember sort of staying out the box and just trying to control it. Now, listen, that touch that I took with my right foot could have went anywhere, but luckily enough for me, it. It went in the best place possible, and it just set up nicely. And I just thought, I'm going to hit this, and um, because it just sat there like it, I didn't have a decision in my head. It wasn't like I thought, oh, should I pass this out wide or should I take another touch? Like the way it was just sitting, the decision was already made in my mind what I had to try and do. Now, obviously, how it went in was just a, it was just a stroke of luck, that just an absolute stroke of luck about how well I hit it, where it ended up in the net. You know, that, that was a big, big bit of luck. Uh, but just the, 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 the feeling you scoring for your country, I think I'd set, I think I'd set Christian Daly up for, if it's the same game, I think, for a goal. And then he scores myself for my country was like, wow. It's, it's one of these feelings that when you, when you come off the pitch, know that I had these feelings a lot. It's one that you go, you'll never be able to take that away from me. You know, I've actually scored for my country. The same thing when you get capped for your country or you get your silver medal for 25 caps. At these things, you go, oh, nobody can ever take that away from me. I mean, you're one, and you touched on it there, you're one of a, a whole generation, maybe even more than a generation, of Scottish players that's never had the chance to play at a major tournament, the World Cup, the Euros. I mean, it's over 20 years now since Scotland qualified. And then it's frustrating you're seeing... Like the last Euros, we're the only country in the home nations that, that didn't make it there. Other countries seem to have taken leaps and bounds and are getting back into qualifying. What's happened to Scotland? I mean, hopefully with the extended World Cup, that will, will let us get in. I know that the big one's coming up here in Canada in 2026. I'm hoping Scotland will make it to that, but surely they've got to make it before then. I mean, what, what's happened to the country? It's a hard question that to answer. We'd be here all day. Aye. I, think, I think there is part of it that it goes in cycles a little bit. Um, you know, but ours has been far too long. Um, I, I, I can only, I think back to our campaigns about why did we not qualify? Well, I remember one game, for example, with Craig Brown with Belgium. We were 2-0 up against 10 men and drew 2 all at Hamden. We got beaten that 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 you know that group that we got like Ukraine, Italy, and France. It's hard to come out of that sort of group. Aye. Um, then we got Holland in the playoffs and we had an unbelievable result, and then they just battered us in the second leg. So we were always close, or, or, or we were sort of nearly there when we. But I haven't actually got an exact. I don't know. I can't answer. I can't answer why. Scotland have failed to qualify for a tournament for 20 years. Like when I, folk 
take the piss out of me because it's like when the World Cup's on, it's like, oh, Scotland's not made it again. Like Canada's only made it once in 86, but at least we're getting a host it here in 2026, so they'll make it. But like Canada's a good example. There's all this young talent coming through with Canada. You've got Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich. You've got uh, Jonathan David that's been lighting it up in Belgium. But I, I don't know, you talk about cycles. We've done nothing here to help develop that young talent. But these guys have naturally come through. But a lot of them are like immigrants to the country, which I think Scotland maybe misses out on. We, we don't have a lot of immigrant players maybe moving to, to Scotland. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it, it doesn't make it. And when the smaller nations qualify, that just makes it even harder for us. Yeah. You know, to take, you know, like, look who well Iceland done recently, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, is it is it Finland that's qualified this time? I think Finland's qualified, and which is great, fantastic for them, but I don't know, because we've got, with, with, with the quality that we've had in recent years, one team should have made a final. We should somewhere along the line we should have made it, you know. But as you say, our generations missed it. You know, myself, Faddy, Fletcher, uh, Barry Ferguson, all that sort of generation. You know, we missed it, and you know, we if you actually wrote, do know the players that we had there and named a twenty-man squad of that, you would think, how's that squad not been able to yeah. qualify? But you watch all the TV as well that's been on during the lockdown they're showing all these games from being at previous World Cups it just makes it feel worse because it's like oh we used to be there all the time I know and see I never really obviously you were aware of it in that but it was 19 it was the last 98. World War, 98. 98 so 98 I was I was 20 20 yeah so that it's four, coming up 22 years you know like it's just, it's, uh, it's staggering, really, with the quality players Aye. that we've got in Scotland that we've no, that we've no made a fine. But I, I, I've thought about it. I, I could sit here to tomorrow. I don't think I could give you a day. I couldn't give you an exact answer on why, why we've not qualified. Yeah. Under your career, you've played under so many managers. Is there anyone that particularly stands out or is there one that's maybe kind of shaped how you are as a manager? No. Not I took wee bits and bobs for all of them. I enjoyed working under everybody that I, that I played under as well, which I don't think many players can say that. Um, I took something for them all, really. Obviously, the ones that had the biggest part were probably Jim and Billy at Hearts, Walter and Archie and, and Craig Brown as well. Obviously, played a big part in my career. But I think Jim and Billy, obviously... Gave me my my start in football, so for that I'll be forever grateful. Uh, and, and and I think when you're that 16, 17, 18, a lot of the things that you learn, you know, for the youth coaches at the time, Walter Kidd, Paul Hegarty, Peter Houston, they've got a big job to play because they, the 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 fundamentals that they put into you when you go in at 16, 18, that sort of YTS and that that's what's got to carry you for the rest of your career. So. Those three, for example, that when people say about managers and that, who's the biggest influence? They've had a significant input into my career. Walter Kidd, Peter Houston, Paul Hegarty. As managers, Jim and Billy obviously gave me a start, played me in the team, trusted me as a young boy, won me the Scottish Cup, uh, let me play 
to have a chance to play for Scotland. So they've got a big part. Walter signs me for Everton. Craig Brown picks me for Scotland. Picks me for signs me for Aberdeen when nobody will really take me. But I think Archie's had a big influence in my career as well. You know, Archie Knox. I think it was his recommendation that went a long way for Walter to sign me um, for Everton. And then obviously I worked with him at Scotland, I worked with him at Everton, and I worked with him at Aberdeen. And again, when I said to you like about earlier on about Dave Marshall, when I, he was saying about the when people say things to you, that means more to me. One of the biggest compliments I got is when I got Archie's book. And uh, if you think about all the people that Archie have, has managed and coached in his career at all his clubs and for countries, and they asked him to name an 11, he says, I can't name an 11. He says, it's impossible. He says, but I'll give you 50 players. And I was one of those 50 players. So things like that yeah. are more, mean more to me than a medal or, or, or you know, something like that. Along the lines, you know, I won the league as a manager for, for Archie Knox to say, you know, a squad of 50, Gary Naismith's one of the 50 players. That means more to me. I, I mean, a lot of folk... When they think of you, they'll think of your time at Everton. You had seven seasons there. You were playing in the Premier League. You were part of that Everton team where Wayne Rooney exploded onto the scene, which must have been exciting for you to see a young guy like that come through. But I always felt like that was a team that could have done more than it did. You had high table finishes, but it just felt that you could have done even better. I mean, how do you look back at your time there? Fondly. Uh, I never realised... When I joined, I never realised how big a club it was and I never realised how big a club I was actually at until I left. And that's no disrespect to Sheffield United, who was a fantastic club and I enjoyed my three years there. But you don't really take it on until you leave. I actually think what you said, I think we overachieved in the Premier League the majority of the time, especially under David Moyes, because... We were consistently challenging for Europe, I think, apart from one season. We got into the Champions League. We never had the money that they've got. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, we we did sign, like, I think, James Beattie for six million and Andrew Johnson for eight million. But you've got to remember, we were competing for the Champions League. We were signing people like who were fantastic players, but like Tim Cahill for one and a half million, Julian Lescott, one and a half million. Uh, I think I was 1.7 million. Davy Weir was 250 grand. Stubbsy was a free transfer. Lee Clarsley wasn't a lot of money. Kevin Coban was maybe a million pounds. James McFadden was 1.25 million pounds. So, although it's a lot of money to Scottish clubs in terms of when you like look at Everton's finances now and they can't get anywhere near the top four. So, I actually Aye. think if, if, if we had have had that wee bit behind us then, we may have been able to take that next push. We were always... I always found... I always felt that under the David Moyes, anything below 10th would have been a failure for us as a group. And we were always looking to challenge for European football. So we, and, and we were a proper team. You know, I think it was a the oh, year yeah. we challenged. I think I could be wrong, but I think the year that we won the champ, we qualified for the Champions League, I think we won six games in a row, won nothing. So we could grind results. You know, we were, we were fit, we were organised, we played some good football, because we had some good football players like Tommy Gravison and Mikel Arteta and Tim Cahill, but we could also battle and grind and we were tough to beat and we were fit. And if you wanted a fight, we could fight. 
Um, so we had a wee bit of everything in that squad. So actually, I, I think people know Everton's history in the 80s, the money that they've yeah. had now that spend on players. But in that time where we, you know, like Walter, for example, when he was there, that we had turmoil off the pitch. You know, players were getting sold behind his back. Players were coming in, they were going. The turnover of the players was incredible. The job that Walter and Archie done just to keep us in the league was, was nine shot of phenomenal. So, I think the majority of the time, Everton was a success in, in terms of where we finished and what we were up against. But, we never won anything. It's a, it's a, apart from the Champions League qualification, I don't think it'll be an Everton team that was remembered for a lot, which is a wee bit unfair, because I actually think we achieved quite a bit. Mm. So what was it like seeing Wayne Rooney then bursting at the scene? You'll probably get sick of answer, answering this question, but you know, I'm, I'm going to take a particular interest. You know, When you talk about David Moyes and Wayne Rooney, I, I do like Man United, so I'm interested to hear if you've got any stories about them. No, he just, he's just a, he just knew when he came in that he, when he started training with you, I'd heard this about this Wayne Rooney and I think Walter Larchie had actually tried to get him to play, but because he was still at school, he couldn't play him. So he had heard all this, so the build up about him and when he came in, he never disappointed. He just, he looked part of us for day one and then very quickly he realised he was miles better than us. <laughs> very quickly that it was just got to be something special and it was then very quickly it was just a matter of time of how long we could actually keep him and just to enjoy him great lad I know he's made a couple of mistakes off the pitch but I can only judge him on when he was at Everton great lad down to earth boy he would go for a drink in the local pub with you if he's seen you now he would come across and speak to you the the time of day couldn't say a bad word about him when you were at Everton, obviously, like I remember you playing very, very well for Everton. Was there ever any speculation, any other clubs' interest? Did you get the chance to go anywhere else in the Premier League? No, I, um, no, not really for Everton because I think to move for Everton up the way, you, you're then going to have to be going into one of the top four or top six at the time. So, no, there wasn't any speculation um, in England. I, I was, I was very close to signing for Rangers. Um, when I was at Everton but for one reason or another that I probably didn't really want to go into that it just never happened but I was close to signing for Rangers when I was at Everton and I think there was a little I was actually looking through my scrapbooks the other day uh, I was just tidying out as everybody is in lockdown tidying out cupboards and stuff my mum used to cut everything out and she'd cut out a bit of paper and then just stick it in and stuff like everything I mean player ratings a lot she used to stick it all in I was actually linked with Stuttgart um, during my time at Everton, but I, 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 can't, I can't really remember too much about that. But um, no, uh, you know, and I wasn't really looking to move, if I'm being honest, because as I say to you, until you're actually within the club, you don't realise how big a club you're actually at. The history, the fans, the passion of the people I've got in Merseyside. I really, really enjoy it. Really, really great, a great club. I've been so fortunate, really, in my career that I played for a lot of, a lot of really. I've never ever got to a club and thought, oh, I've made a mistake coming here. I think, think obviously looking back now, I mean, some of the clubs that you played for, you were saying Huddersfield, obviously League One, obviously very recently in the Premier League, Sheffield United doing the Championship now in the Premier League. So, do you, do you manage to get down, and watch any of those games, or do you go back? Well, I've not to been visit back. 
for any of these clubs, you know, the, the, the Sheffield United just came around. I had a new three-year contract on the table for David Moyes, which would have took me up to 10 years at Everton, testimonial. But I wasn't playing every week. And for me, it was all about playing. It wasn't, didn't matter about the money, it was about playing. And I think the easiest way I could summarise this was I would have got my 20 or 30 games at Everton because, you you know, you sometimes had European football, you had the two cups, you had the league. But I think hand on heart, I knew that if Everton got to a cup final, I would maybe play. You know, I don't think I was, I don't think I was a, I don't think I was a first choice pick for David Moyes, but again, I think I could have stayed there and got my 25 or 30 appearances a season, which for some people would have been enough. But for me, after having been a regular, regular starter for so long, the last year, year and a half at Everton, in the team, out the team, sub, no strip, in the team, out the team, sub, I just wanted to go somewhere where I thought I had a more realistic chance of playing every week. There's two or three clubs interested, but you know, Brian Robson was the manager of Sheffield United. They had just got relegated at the Premier League. When you see about the stadium, fantastic stadium. Brian Robson, Captain Marvel, wants to sing you, you know, the money wasn't too much different from what it was on at Everton. There wasn't really a lot of negatives. I was going to be playing regularly. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go now. Again, one of these things where you say to me, do you think the IFD's five too early? I left for the right reasons. I wanted to play every week. Looking back now, should I maybe have stayed at Everton and done the three years and then another couple of years, got a testimonial, uh, been at Everton for maybe 13 years, more as a squad player towards the end, but you know, went down as like, you know, an Evertonian and you maybe have stayed down there and got into the coaching at a club like Everton, you know what I mean, where you see clubs sort of promoting with them. So, I always, I never have any regrets, but I always think about, like we spoke about East Fife going to Queen of the South, I always think that to myself, oh, did I maybe leave too early? I know why I left, but I always think to myself, should I have just stayed there and gave that another year, or signed a three-year deal, and if I was still in the same situation a year's time left then? So, you always think like, but you know, I went to Sheffield United, the first two years, I think I played about, I played 90 games, 86 games, so I definitely went for the right reasons. But um, when we got to the playoffs in my second season, I'd done my cruciate and it kept me out for a season. So, um, but why did I leave Everton? I left Everton to go and play. Did you play? Yes, I played 86 out of about 96 games. So the reasons I left were, were justified. Obviously in that Sheffield team, you'd have played with Kyle Walker. Is he the fastest player you've, you've played with? Yeah, he's up there like... Yeah, but we had we had uh, we had some good players in that team. You know, we had uh, Gary Speed, Gary Speed, Hugo Ekihog, James Beatty, Keith Gillespie, Phil Bardsley. All at different times in my spell, we had Gary Cahill, um, Lee Hendry, Rob Hills, Billy Sharp. We had some good players, and and we had people coming on loan like Anthony Stokes came on loan. Uh, David Cottrell, Nathan Dyer. We had some players there. Again, probably when they're achieving, they'll get up. Burnley beat us in the playoff final. They beat us in the final. And again, it was one of the games that, as injuries have had in my career, you know, I missed it. I missed, this, I missed the semi-finals and the finals of the playoffs. That must have been a wee bit of a sore one, obviously, getting the chance to play at Wembley. Just, it was... Uh, it was a nightmare, really, you know. And then I got to the playoffs for the first year with Huddersfield. 
and we lost in the final at Old Trafford to Peterborough. And then the year we actually got promoted with Huddersfield through the playoffs, I was injured. <laughs> and we actually, we actually won the playoffs with Huddersfield against Sheffield United, which was just an a, a unreal situation. And it went all the way in the penalty shootout to the goalies had to take one. Oh, wow. We missed the first three penalties in the shootout and won it. But again, I missed, so I missed doing that. So I, big injuries are, are, listen, you've got, people have to get them in football, but injuries have severely blighted me with Scotland caps, playoff finals. Um, it's, it's been the biggest frustration in my career by far. I mean, I think when folk think of your injuries, they think of that Gerard tackle as well. It, yeah, but I, I never actually got injured for that. You know, I never, oh. I just had some back, I, like, so the cruciate, I'll give you another one, for example, playing against Newcastle at Goodison, across the ball and it's wet, the defender slides in to, um, just to block the cross, nothing wrong, just slid in. He's got these blades on. So the blade slipped through my socks. So I was at the side of the pitch. I thought, I just need to take a minute or two. Fizzing runs round. He says, you all right? I says, I'll be all right in a minute. He takes my sock off. The blade slipped right through my skin. So I've got, skins went down towards my, towards my ankle and up towards my knee. And I can actually see my bone. 38 stitches of root for three months. Like unique injuries, just... And it was actually, through no fault, it was Stevie Caldwell who used to play for... And my first game back with Scotland, I was rooming with Stevie Caldwell. <laughs> Incredible. So that was one. Then another one, I went in to get just a clean-up of my ankle operation, an ankle, wee bit of bone um, microsurgery, um, three-week operation. I got an infection, which you have to sign the disclaimer... One in a hundred gets an infection, so I got an infection. Anyway, the infection went that deep. If we hadn't got in there and then, because I was, I'd had the operation, I thought, something's not right here, physio, I need to go back. If we hadn't got there and then, it says your career would have been over. I was in the hospital for 10 days with like a vacuum system, pumping all antibiotics and clean fluids in, taking out all like the rubbish and stuff. I couldn't do anything. I got home, two weeks bedridden, so that was like three and a half weeks. I couldn't move. I was only meant to boot for three weeks. So it was like some injuries I had. I never just seemed to get. Like a, if I got a hamstring injury, it wouldn't be a grade one that I was out for one or two weeks. It would be like a grade three rupture. Like I've got a, in my thigh, I've got like an indentation. So it wasn't just a thigh strain. It was a rupture in my thigh. You know, so like the injuries that I got were like, I've never seemed to get an injury that was anything less than six weeks. Even with my cruciate, I got back from my cruciate in six months, which was really quick. I was back on the bench. Then the fat pad blew up, which is round about your cruciate. I had to go back, rest for a couple of months. Then it wouldn't settle down. Then I need to take cortisol injections. So actually the whole injury took about a year. But I was actually back from injury within six months. So... A lot of the things, I couldn't help it, you know, it was freak injuries that you, you just couldn't write about. Uh, you didn't get the cold, you get pneumonia, Gary. Oh, honestly, <laughs> no, it was so, it was like, honestly, I, 
I'm only I'm just sitting here thinking, I must have missed three years in my career through injury. Three years. Wow. See, when you're talking about the infection you got, it wouldn't happen to be cellulitis with it. You know what? I, I don't know what it was. It was like nar, narcotic fat, narcotic fat. The only way I can describe this to you is right, and it it sounds terrible. You know, if you ever have a really, really runny nose and it's like really dripping out, well, see if you squeeze my scar, that was like popping out of my ankle. Like oh. I mean, popping out. It's the only way I can describe it. I know people will be listening thinking. Oh, <laughs> It's the only way, and, it, and that's when we thought something, it was red, it was itchy. I thought, there's something in the right ear physio, no, I think it's infected. He, he just pushed it a little bit and it burst, and he was like, oh, we need to get you up. up. This is all you need to go into surgery now, like now. Wow. Well, oh. I'm glad I had an LAT the night, Gary. <laughs> so again, it just these sort of things, you know, it was like, and you know, people didn't see it, all they see is, oh, Nason was injured again, Nason was injured again, mm. but. What can I do there? I've went in for a three, four week operation that's kept me out for six months. I've got back for a nine month injury in six months and it's flamed up and it's kept me out another six months. I've went to put a cross and somebody slid on the wet surface and his blades cut my knee wide open. It's like, there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. I'll mention so, that to Stevie Caldwell. He's out here. <laughs> Next time I see him. I give him the blame for that. So we're going to go to some questions that we've had from our, our social media, if you don't mind. Um, so uh, one of our followers, Grant, wants to know, how did you feel when East Fife went to knock out Queen of the South in the Challenge Cup with the team that you built? No, I don't think it was a team I built. You know, there was some players still there. You know, I think it was Darren's team. Darren had put his own input on it. And I have to be honest with you, the East Fife deserved to win the game. No doubt about it. They were by far the better team on the day. We totally underperformed. And it was gutting, you know, I was looking forward to the day going back. We had played them in a pre-season friendly. I wanted to go back and see everybody and I had made plans to see everybody, but I was that gutted with the result. I just took myself off. I never, I think I seen the chairman for about a minute. I was got to go into the boardroom and see everybody, Monte Leona. I just wanted to get away, you know, because defeat hurts me that bad. And we hadn't played well. And I know it was, if you want, people would class it as a, a lesser cup. But I wasn't happy with how the team had played that day. Nothing to do with it being East Fife, you know. If, if we weren't got to win the cup, you know, I want, I want East Fife to win the cup, that particular cup. But um, it was more just, I was more disappointed. But no, it was one of them, you just have to, you have to take your medicine there. The better team won on the day, no doubt, no doubt about that. Got a question from John Scott Neal, who wanted to know, what do you see as your strongest attributes as a coach? I think my man management, really. The, with the players, um, I, I'm one of these that, when I played for East Fife, I was very lucky that Doogie was a very, very good coach. So I could trust Doogie to, he was on my way thinking. So in a game, I could generally see what was happening. In most games, I wasn't too caught up in the game when I was playing that I could go to Doogie and say, look, we need to change this or change that. But sometimes I had to go to Doogie and say, look, we need to change something, but I'm too occupied in the game with the person I'm playing against. That you need to just do what you're right, what you think right. So you can only really do that with somebody when you're the player manager if you've got total, total trust in them. But my biggest thing, I think, was my man management, getting the players to play for me, wanting to play for me. Um, you think about the people that we got on loan. You know, it was all right me going to the club saying can we have them on loan. I then had to make sure that I had to convince the players to come to us. You know, to get Jason Kerr, Liam Kelly, 
people like that. Kevin Smith, they dropped for Dumbarton to come to us on loan. You know, so I had to get PG to come for Dunfermline. You know, Dunfer- leave, eventually leave Dunfermline full-time to come to us part-time. So convincing players to buy into what I want to do, mm. I think is a big skill of mine. And then I think when I actually get them into the club, getting the players to actually play for me and, 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 and work how I want them to work is a big thing. Um, I'm one of the, I don't need to take every training session. Like when we went full-time with Queen of the South, I, I could stand back Monday, Tuesday, and speak to Doogie, right, what do you want to work on? I want to work on that and that. And I let Doogie go and plan the session. Doogie come and say, I've got to do that. Fine. Let Doogie take it. I would stand back and watch it. Same when Laurie Ellis came in. I liked that. And then Thursday, Friday, when it got to the tactical work, then I wanted to go on the pitch and get my points across. But I wasn't one of these managers that had to take every single session. I know when you're at East Fife, you kind of inquired at least about a, a friend of mine, Dario Zanata. Yeah, who, I did. He always seemed to score against us. And every time he did, I got a message from him and his dad apologising. But do you think if you'd got him, would that have, made, would that have been the goal scorer you were maybe looking for? Well, I never got, I never got him at uh, East Fife and I never got him at Queen no. of the Tried to get him at Queen of the South, but he'd already been on loan at Aloha and he enjoyed it and he wanted to go back to Aloha. So I never got him. Um, yeah, Dario was somebody that you know we were we were really interested in um, because he was a really good player, really. Um, and I got to know him when I went in my job at Hearts actually, and I had a, a small part to play in his move to Partick Thistle. Albeit I see that he's now left Partick Thistle. Yeah, so. yeah, he might head. Don't know Gary. So, no, yeah, we did try and sign Darius and that, that's for sure. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get him in. So, last question we've got from the, the listeners, one from Glenn Walker again. Who's, you, you've kind of touched about your, your role at Hearts. You went back, they kind of created a new position. You were overseeing the Lone players. Yet your contract there is up at the end of June what do you see yourself doing next? Do you want to get back into management? Do you see yourself maybe going into punditry? Or you're just open to anything right now? Yeah, I think through choice, you know, I'd like to be a manager again. You know, that's where I see myself as a manager, as I've already touched on without going over it. I think in the majority of time I've been successful as a manager. However, I do think that that last two or three months at Queen of the South is, I wouldn't say it's damaged my reputation, it's maybe lowered my stock maybe a little bit, which um, rightly or wrongly, that's how I think it is. So if I've got to go back to being a manager at a part-time level to enable myself to get a job at a full-time club again, then I'm more than happy to do that. I've not, I've not got any airs and graces, you know, I'm only going to take another full-time job. Ideally, I'd love a full-time job, but realistically, am I going to get a full-time job just now in football? Probably not. The Hearts job came up. They, had, they did have a loans manager, but they allowed me to progress it a little bit further. And I really, really enjoyed it, you know. But, and it's something that, you know, is on the CV. It's, an, and it's another experience, you know. You're looking at trying to help the players, having an input, not having the final decision, but you're having an input into what club that they should go to um, and why you think they should go to that club. And then you're making sure they're okay and you're watching their games, you're writing up reports on that. And I enjoyed that. There's, there's no doubt about that. I enjoyed it, but it didn't have the same buzz for me as being a manager. Um, so I, I have missed the managerial role. 
and it is something that you know I, I, I you know I don't want Queen of the South to have been my last job in football mm-hmm. as a manager. I want another shot at whether that is whether that is is a in Scotland, whether that is in England, I've thought about maybe going for under 23 managerial job at a club or whether that is abroad, I'm open to everything. And I'm open to anything really regarding football. You know, the loans manager, somebody had told me when I left going to the South, your next job will be as a loans manager. I would have thought, no, I can't see that. But something came up and it, I quite fancied it and I thought, you know what, i am got to go for that. So you never really know what's around about the corner but if it, if we're, being, if we're being blunt about managerial, the League One and League Two may not start until October, November. Yeah. Right? And if we're just talking Scot- as Scottish leagues, if these leagues don't start then, no club is going to part ways with their manager for at least two or three months into that season. Because so... Just looking at that, and I never wish anybody to lose their job, but unfortunately it's a, it's a business that we're in. I can only get back in if somebody else loses their job. Um, so, so, so in that way, it's a horrible industry. But if, if I'm thinking about for me, I don't think there'll be another part-time job comes up unless, unless there's something happens where somebody says, listen, you know what, before the new season starts, I'm going to just have done my time. I'm going to walk away now or that. I don't think there's going to be a vacancy comes up in Scotland until after the year. I very probably. You've got six months where you think, right, what am I going to do now? What jobs is there in football? It it looks highly unlikely that there'll be a loans manager position at Hearts due to the circumstances that they're in. So, you know, I'm like two, three, four hundred people in football looking for a job. Probably going to be looking for a job. There'll be a Five, six hundred players looking for, for a job. A yeah. hundred or two hundred people looking for employment in football. We're not all going to be able to get a job. So I keep my I keep all my options open. I enjoy a little bit of punditry that I do. You know, I've been on the radio a wee bit. I enjoy it. I enjoy co-commentating on the games that I've done. Um, it's something that... Um, I wouldn't say that I find easy, but I think it comes it comes quite naturally to me to be able to talk about things and and, and watch a game and, and see how I think that game's going. So I'm open to anything, really. You know, as I say, there may still be something for me at Hearts, but I think you know that would be highly unlikely. Um, and I understand that, you know, due to circumstances we're in. Just with the size of squads, youngsters, I don't, I don't think Hearts, I don't think there'll be, I don't think clubs in general in Scotland next year will have many players going out on you. So, so we've got a, a question here from Glenn Walker, and it was also something I was wondering about as well. A lot, of, a lot of things can happen in football. Darren Young's often linked to it. We're moving on at the club. It's something that that happens really when you're successful at, at the lower levels bigger teams start, start to come into you. At, at some stage down the line, if there was to be a vacancy at East Fife, would you be interested in coming back to Bayview? Or are you the kind of guy that, that doesn't really believe in, in going back to, to places that, you, that you've been before? No, back. I would go back 100%. You know, but as I say, Darren's doing a great job. I think Darren's took... I think Barry first went in and I think Barry... 
you know, had his own team and now Darren, it's firmly Darren's own team. Um, and I think he's doing a good job. I think they've bought a really good squad. And I think Darren will also realise that he's probably at one of the better part-time clubs in Scotland, in my opinion. You know, um, it's well run now on and off the pitch. Finances are good. Stadium's good. Uh, squaddy players is good. Training facilities is good. Uh, you know, there isn't really much negative about his fife at this moment in time for me looking for the outside in. Um, but no, I'm not one of these that would say, no, I don't know if you should ever go back. I would go, I would go back, yeah. It's, it's, it's quite simple for me that if that, if, if in the future, if anything ever came up, I would, I would definitely consider it if I was asked the question. However, I want to reiterate, I'm not trying to get Darren's job and I think Darren's doing a fantastic job and he's, you know, if he keeps going how he's going, I think it'll be very soon that Darren will have that decision that I had. When, when does he actually take the step into full-time football? He done well at Albion Rovers, and then he's, you know, he's listen. It's very difficult to get each fight into the playoffs, but he's there or thereabout. Each year the squad's getting stronger. They, they tie people down nice and quick, which means that they don't have a massive turnaround in players, which then makes Darren's job a little bit easier. That he's only maybe having to add three or four players every season to a squad that's already. That's how football should be. You know, I know Jim likes it like that. He likes that. He likes to know going into an off season that there's a. We got that towards end, but I know that the chairman likes to have a continuity that he likes to know that he's got eight or ten players tied up going into the summer for the next again season. And I think that's how you should be because it's very, very difficult to put a whole new squad together and be successful. You know, when I think back, us making the playoffs that year that I built the first team at East Fife, although we never got out the playoffs, that was still an achievement because there was maybe 10, 15 new players came in to gel them together to get into the playoffs. It was still some sort of achievement. It wasn't a fantastic achievement, but it was still some sort of achievement because it's very difficult to mould 15 players together and be successful at the same time. Now, I, I know we've been talking for nearly two hours and we've only got a couple, two, three things left to ask you. This next question, I know you could probably spend about two hours talking about this, but league reconstruction. It's in the, it's all over anyone's talking about at the moment. Obviously, hearts are deeply affected by it. For you personally, what, what's your ideal solution to this? What should Scottish football look like next season? Well, I know all the ins and outs about the financial stuff, you know, and more teams have taken the financial stuff out of it. I thought the fairest way, and I say this for day one, was to go 14 10 10 10. I thought Dundee United and Inverness should have been promoted with no relegation. Yep. Falkirk and Wraith up, no relegation for Partick. And uh, Cove and Edinburgh up, and Brora and Kelty coming in. For me, uh, apart from potentially Rangers, if they still thought they had a chance of winning the league, who's got any grievance if you yep. do that? Who's got a grievance there? Absolutely. You know, for me, so taking find that I get, I get that's a completely different thing. The Sky games, there's so many old firm games, and all of that. I get that, and you have to factor that in. But in terms of just a footballing decision, to be fair to clubs, I think that would have solved. That would have. I don't think you would have had any comeback for any of the clubs, really. No, it seems to be the thing that's on the table again. By the time this comes out, I still don't have. It was on the it was on the table six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. Ah, it was the one that the majority of people said 
this would solve all the problems. So if it wasn't going to be passed eight weeks ago or six weeks ago or four weeks ago, whenever it was, why do we think it's going to pass now? Like, from looking from afar, it's baffling. I just don't understand it. It's... Listen, it's my club that's affected by yeah. it, you know. And, but one way or another, I would just like a decision to be made. Like, every club, every league, every country are now saying, like, we're going back then, we're starting back then, our season's ended then. We, we, our season's ended, but we don't know who's going to be in the Premier League. We don't know when the Championship's going to start back. We don't know when League 1 and League 2 is going to start back. We don't know who's going to be in what league. How can you, like, for example, say, and say they don't, I'll just give you another thing, and again, maybe got my heart's head on here, right? So let's say they don't reconstruct the leagues, right? And the championship, which has been in the papers, is going to start in October. Hearts are ready to play now. Mm. So you're going to tell a club that you've got to sit on your heels for two months. Three months. What, what do they do with players? Play players three months not to play any games. Aye, it's ridiculous. Now, it's... I don't, listen, there'll be other teams in the Championship that are ready to play as well. And there'll be other teams in the Championship that are thinking, you know what, October suits us. But I, I, don't, yeah. under, I, I, I don't... I think if teams can prove that they're ready to play, they've got to be able to be allowed to play. Absolutely. Yeah, I you know, you, you see, it's... Say it's Partick Thistle get relegated. You know, Partick's fans here have raised a lot of money. I know they were left some money um, because it passed Aye, away. Yeah. The lottery guy. They were left money there. The fans have raised money. You're not going to tell me that Partick Thistle, Partick Thistle are ready to play. So, so let's just say the championship is October and Partick are in League One and that's going to be an 18-game season that starts in January. Are we going to tell Partick Thistle that you can't play until January? So it's it's a mess. They're going to have to try and, but, but and it, this could be, it could be me that's be, my ignorance. I didn't see any other countries in this mess. No, not no. at all. Like here over in North America, MLS is about to restart again. And you've got all the European leagues that's restarting. And it's like, we seem to be the only country that just, I mean, even England, clubs put aside their self-interest and the League One teams voted to end the League One season. Yeah, there's some unhappy teams there, like Peterborough, that's really losing out. But they came to a consensus and they've agreed. It's just us that's just pissing about. So, I, I, just whatever way, it would just be good to get it settled and for everybody to say, right, well, we know the Premier League Championship 1 and 2. And I think that'll help everybody in Scotland now, even if it's dates that are away in the future, that we're only happy about and we, and we would like it to be quicker. At least if we have a time scale, it's something to work towards. You know, say, say for example, they say East Fife in League One will play, it'll be a 10-team league and you'll only play 18 games and you're going to start on the 1st of January. Right? You're not happy about it, but at least you know what's happening. You think, right, 1st of January, this is happening. It lets the board prepare, it lets the manager prepare. Everything like that, you know what's happening then, right? We're not happy with the first of January, but that's what it is. We know when we're starting now. And I think once we can get that, that out, it'll help the players, the clubs, the fans, everybody. Yeah. Well, we've just got two quick fun things to end with. Right. I was going to ask you the best 11 you played with, but I've seen that you very recently um, did that on BBC. So 
I'm going to flip it and ask the best 11 you played against. Now, I've been doing a wee bit of research, so it'll be interesting to see if your team's similar to mine. Well, wow. <laughs> I've not. Honestly, I, I, that's a hard question, that. I know, just to put him on the spot. <laughs> uh, Gary was offered the full question list. Gary rejected the full question list. <laughs> he could have been prepared for this. And, see, it's difficult because a lot of the best players are all been attacking players, eh? Mm. It's trying to fit them up. I, I hate people that will pick like five forwards in a best 11 because it's Aye. not realistic. Well, just give us some of, your, some of the best yeah. players then that you've played against. Uh, Ronaldo, definitely in it. Figo, Gascoigne when he was at Rangers, Loudrop, Zola. Oh, I played against all of them, eh? Like, uh, it's very, like, I played all the teams there, sort of like the Man United, so you could see mm. Keane, Scholes, Beckham, Giggs, Van Nistelrooy. Oh, but what I can say to you is the best player that I played against and, I, and I've got a reason for this is, is Steven Gerrard and the reason I say this is because see all the players that we mentioned there at the other clubs at your Man United for example I always felt that they players had four or five world class players alongside them whereas I don't think it when Steven Gerrard was playing at a Liverpool, perhaps maybe one here and there, he carried that team for me himself. Like, because he was on a level, he was above the rest of his teammates and he was on that level himself. Whereas the Man United players were all, well, five or six of them were on that level. Giggs, Keane, Beckham, Scholes, Van Nistelrooy. You know what I mean? Rooney. Yeah. yeah. They, they, so, whereas he, 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 he was like Liverpool's driving force for me, himself. Listen, Jamie Carragher was a fantastic defender and I know Alonso was there. But these Man United players played together for seven, eight, nine years, whatever. Gerrard was like just there himself for so long and for him to play at the level that he played at, get the caps that he got. Yes, he never won the league, but he won trophies with, with Liverpool. That's why I think he's probably the best because he, 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 I don't think he played and a team with as many world-class players as the rest, a lot of the other people that I've mentioned. Brilliant. You mentioned, obviously, about Archie Knox um, writing a book. Is it something you've thought about yourself? No. <laughs> no. Uh, we'd just be writing about injuries and uh, my mum losing my mum to cancer, my dad with motor neuron disease. I think it would just have everybody depressed. I don't think that's a good idea for me to write a book. <laughs> I would buy it, mate. <laughs> a consolation to you. I think, I think what I'd be better doing is just getting a few of my stories together and getting on the after-dinner circuit speaking, and I think that Definitely. would be better for people to come along and see that. Aye. Fair enough. That's great. Thanks so much, oh, Gary. Great. Cheers, Gary. Cheers, 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 Thank, you. Thank you. Stay safe. Cheers. Cheers. So some great stuff there from Gary. I mean, last week's interview with Paul McManus was fun. It was a long one. We went even longer with Gary this week, but some great tales to tell there. And just, it's just fascinating. 
hearing his insight as a as a player. I mean, you you talked to in the first part about being there, seen things, done things. It's like that. That's Gary Naismith, and so open and honest as well. And I think when you look back at his playing days in particular, it's heartbreaking to think that he had all those injuries that just derailed. I mean, he's he's had a great playing career, but it could even have been just that that little bit higher. Yeah, I think that it's an absolute sin, and obviously he touched it in the interview um, that he didn't get his his Hall of Fame for Scotland. Um, it yeah. was something that you know he, he certainly deserved. You know, I, I, and by the way, before we go any further, I need to um, give a big thank you to Liam Anderson who helped facilitate getting that interview with Gary. Um, really, really grateful for that, Liam. Thank you very much. Thanks again to our sponsors, KJK Installation, who sponsored bringing Gary onto the show. So that was excellent. You know, having the career that Gary had, you know, winning the Scottish Cup, obviously his biggest achievement, winning the league with us, becoming only the third manager to do so, scoring for your country, representing your country, you know, being there, done things, I think he's actually got the, definitely got the the right to say that. Yeah, Unlike he's got the, the t-shirt. that said it. <laughs> <laughs> True. That's what we could have as our merch, being there, done things. Oh, yeah. The gold. If you're interested in that t-shirt, let yeah. us know. We can make that happen. Yeah. But, yeah, the details that Gary shared there and just the, the clear love that he has for his time at, at East Fife. I mean, it, it shone yeah. through in that interview. And, I mean, he, de- he definitely wasn't trying to wangle his way back in at the club. I hope no one took it from, from that, from the, the question that I asked him there. Mm-hmm. But he, he would love to be back one day if a vacancy arose. And... I think the fans would welcome him back. And when you look at the start that he had, getting relegated in that first season, there's a lot of clubs would have panicked and and got rid of him, Mm. especially after the next one where he didn't take us up right away again as well. But what I loved most when he spoke about winning the championship and you asked him about the joy in his face and obviously there'd been a lot of stuff in his personal life that was going on with with his dad and things. But him saying... He just felt he had taken the club back to where they were when he took over. That said so much for me because it showed what his ambition was and that he didn't think he'd actually achieved anything. Whereas we know he had three championships in 120 years of of existence. It's crazy, even when you think of it, for a team like East Fife. And he is one of those three managers that goes down in folklore as delivering a, a championship. And, I mean, it's just fantastic job that he did. Like he touched on as well, though, if you think in our lifetime, certainly, the money that Bakey spent and Willie Gray invested yeah. compared to what Gary had, you know, it was actually a bit of a light bulb moment for me because I would probably have said, you want to know what that team that we had that won, you know, won the league in the quickest succession and stuff, but you really got to give Gary the credit for mm-hmm. what he produced um, and the football that we played to get that title was phenomenal. You know what I mean? And he, he talks a bit about his, his man management and I know that um, through friends that um, Stevie Campbell you know, really, really said that the, the difference in the professionalism and the training and things like that. And obviously Gary touched on about some of the things that he'd done to, to really take us up that next level. I, I really do genuinely believe this, that Gary was the catalyst of where we are now. Absolutely. As a club. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to diminish the, the 2007-2008 title win in any way, shape or form, but we bought 
that title. We spent mm-hmm. more than any other club in that league. And it's like, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite and criticise the likes of Gretna for doing that and Kelty for doing that and <laughs> even Rangers when they were in the lower leagues and doing yeah. that and not say, we did the same thing. And it's yeah. like, as a fan, I couldn't care less. I loved every minute of it. And to have that highlight was fantastic. But as is always the case, when clubs tend to do that, you then have a big fall afterwards. In Gretna's case, they went bust. Obviously, different circumstances because Brooks Wilson passed away. But clubs that tend to spend that money to get success, it doesn't last. And then the club is usually left in a bad way after it. And Gary came in and he inherited a mess. And it did take him a, a, a couple of seasons to turn it around. But what he achieved through a hard-working team that was all playing, playing the way that he wanted to play, and as he said a couple of times there, bought into his style of play, bought into his system. That, in a lot of ways for me, gets success more than just throwing money at, at buying a team. Yeah, not only that, and I think that, you know, I've definitely been guilty of this as a football fan, and I'm not going to sit here and say anything else. You know, at times I I, I questioned whether Gary was right um, when he didn't take us right back up. Um, in hindsight, you, you do make snap judgments in passion, but you want to know what, again, you, you've got to take, give your credit to the guys at the club who said, no, but, you know, what we're seeing, Gary was the, the right thing to do, and... You've touched on it again, yeah. Mike, about the Gary not wanting to, to be looking to be standing on Darren's toes. He definitely wasn't, but you know, I would probably say that Gary Gary does still have that love for his fife, and I'll, I'll, I'll bet that he still checks the scores after his um, after the Hearts have played to see how we've got on. I would have him back in a minute. Yeah, I I, I genuinely like from listening to him there. I genuinely feel he doesn't fully appreciate what he did for our club no, and how he's left our club. And a lot of the success today, as you said, is built upon the the foundations Mm -hmm. that Gary had put in place. And he's a very humble, modest person. And I think if he really sat and thought about it, he would think, you know what? Yeah, I did do wonders at that club. And yeah, great to to chat. Let us know what you thought about the, the chat with him as well. And I think we, we covered a lot in that time. One of the things we did talk about, though, he could be one of these managers that finds himself... I used the term on the scrap heap, which is a, a little bit harsh, but looking for work. This COVID crisis is something that's going to leave so many players, so many managers, coaching staff, officials out of work. And there's been a lot of talk. I've been reading the papers this week, listening to stuff on the radio, listening to things like Off the Ball. There's always been a lot of talk of, will some clubs get rid of their youth setups? We've already seen that in England. A lot of clubs have done that because they know that there's so many players on the scrap heap, they feel they don't need to to develop their own players because there's always going to be a, a massive pool of players available. And Gary, he doesn't know what the future holds for his position at Hearts. There's going to be so many players out of the game. And it's a worrying time, but I think it's also an exciting time for a a club like East Fife because we could get some players that in the past would maybe have been out of our our reach because players will will do what Gary said and think, you know what, I'll take this lower part-time wage and get a job and I'm actually going to be better off. 
Yeah, I mean, Paul McManus said it last week that, you know, he recommended to players, I think it was Mitch Meganson that he'd said about, yep. you know, what, what, why don't you go and um, take the money here, get yourself some good money, get yourself a good part-time job and you're laughing. You know, look at what Nathan Austin did at Kelty. He'll be on a good base wage at Kelty, which we know. He's got a good job. I think it's at Campion Homes or whoever it is that he works for there. So, you know, well, a lot of the maybe apart from the big clubs in the championship, go, right, whilst this crisis is going on, let's drop down to part-time, get part-time players, and then build ourselves back up financially. It might be something a lot of clubs have to look at. Football as well is a career. It's a fleeting career. It's like so many players don't make it to the top of the game. And it's so, so cutthroat at the top of the game as well that in a lot of ways, a guy in his mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s, it's maybe better for him to start to get his career and then you've got your security then. Because right yeah. now, there's very little security for, for a lot of people. So, I mean, this could change the, the whole shape of Scottish football moving forward. And a lot of that, of course, is going to be tied into the, the subject that will just never go away. League reconstruction. We touched a little bit about it in the first part. Gary touched upon it there. And clubs had a conference call on Wednesday to look again at the reconstruction options. Hearts were pushing their 14-14-14 with no promotion from the Highland League or Lowland League. That didn't get any support. It, it got a few, but it was dead in the water. So that's off the table now. Before we look at the one that seems to, to, to be on the table, let, let's talk about something we alluded to in the first part, which was the, the bombshell plan that had come out from Rangers suggesting 14-14-18. That was a, a setup that would have seen Brora and Kelty promoted, rightly so, I feel. But controversially, adding in the old firm Colt under 21 teams, joining the league in the bottom tier, paying money over four seasons, which would be starting at £125,000. Now, under the plans, Rangers and Celtic B teams would only be able to get promoted as high as the championship. In Germany, a lot of the, the Bundesliga teams, they have teams in the third and the fourth tier, and they can't get promoted above the, the third tier. At one point, they couldn't get promoted above the fourth tier, which I think, if you were going to let these teams in, which I'm totally against anyway, don't allow them to even get promotion. But then, do you promote a team that then finishes third? That's a whole other thing. The players would have an age limit of 21. The old firm would purchase at least 200 tickets at a cost of £15 for each away game with the money paid in advance. They'll also pay £1,000 to stream each of those matches should the facilities be in place. Other Premier teams, though, they could have teams but only in the, the Lowland League or the Highland League and they'd have to pay a joining fee of 25000 or they could force a strategic partnership with lower league outfits that would allow them to have up to six players plus one coach loaned to the, the Premiership team. Now, I want to come back to that later on. The, the partnerships would be like three years, stuff like that. Now, that plan also seems dead in the water. And I, I know we were speaking a, a little bit about it. You're very vociferously against it. I'm against it as well. But just share your thoughts on that. When you heard that, what was going through your head? I think for me, it's just the sheer sense of entitlement of the old firm on it. 
Um, and I know that look. I know we've got old firm um, fans that listen to the podcast, and it's it's not me having a pop at Rangers, not me having a pop at Celtic. But you know, why do they think that their youth teams deserve to be in a league that we fought our entire, you know, life as a club to be in? And yep. where does that sense of entitlement come that they just deserve to be there? Mm-hmm. I tell you, what, you want to do that? You can do it the same way as Kelty and Broad have had to do it. Yeah, no, it's like but, but if Kelty had said, "Okay, we've got all this money, we'll buy a spot in the league," they'd be uproar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that, that there's there's no way. I think it takes away the credibility of the game. You know, I, I know for one, I wouldn't go and watch uh, East Fife game if we're playing a, a Colts team, um, just like I haven't watched us play any of the Colts team in the in the cups. I, I think it's pointless. It's like going to watch a friendly. Um, it just it wouldn't do anything for me at all. Now, I mean, obviously, I know that you've got teams in like in um, in some of the other big countries in the world. You know, and the argument is, is oh, they do it in Spain, they do it here, they do it there, they do it whenever. That's fine. Um, you know, Real Madrid have their Castilla team, but then there's the instance that Real Madrid had to play Castilla in the final of the of the cup, and I'm just a bit like, Phew. I think it makes a mockery of it. I think that look if they wanted to do the partnership thing, um, where you you know a feeder club or, or something along those lines, hundred percent. You know if if that's what you want to do, that's fine. You pay the club a feeder club fee, and um, you could loan um, certain amount of players, whatever. That idea I could get behind, hundred um, percent. However, I don't think that that coat clubs are the way to go. I think that it, it really is. It's a, the arrogance of that proposition is a slap in the face to lower league fans. I was actually slightly surprised that it got voted down so quickly because I thought there would possibly be a lot of lower teams that are desperate for the money and that they would bite their yeah. fingers off at it. Because let's be honest, there's some teams, and we were one of these teams in the past, but I think we've got more ambition now. But there's some teams in the bottom tier that they're not going to go very far. They've not really got a lot yeah. of ambition. You had East Sterling in the league for years that if they didn't finish bottom, that was a great achievement for them. And I think gradually these clubs are going to find themselves out of the league with promotion and relegation. I mean, you said in the first show, when we were talking about stuff like that, oh, you wouldn't have wanted to see Cowden Bees fall out of the league. I personally would. But any club that doesn't show ambition, I do kind of think, well, why do you deserve to have your league place if you've got other teams that are prepared to show ambition? But to give you an idea of how the setup works here in North America, you've got Major League Soccer that is the top tier. There's a league called USL, the United Soccer League, and it comes under the MLS. Now, the USL, there's a USL Championship, there's USL League One, there's USL League Two. So it's slightly modelled on the English system, but you can't get promoted from the USL Championship into MLS because there's no promotion and relegation in MLS because some clubs, believe it or not, are paying expansion fees of $250 million to get a team in MLS. And it's going up every year. The next teams that get in are paying $300 million, $325 million to get a spot in MLS. So there's no promotion and relegation. I won't go into all that just now. But what the MLS teams do, they can choose to put a team into the USL. And the Whitecaps did it. They had Whitecaps two for three seasons. And these were competitive games. And they actually, because there's no promotion relegation, 
and you're just playing in a league, they wanted to win and earn a contract for the first team. But what a number of teams chose to do was have an affiliation with an existing team. So they would loan six players, eight players to that team. That The team would have complete control over those players and they would run their club as normal, but they were getting quality talent to develop to see if they made it into the game. Now, I would be all for that as long as, like, say East Fife had an affiliation with Hearts. Let's just pick that as an example. I don't want Hearts then saying, no, you've got to play all our players every single game. East Fife have to have autonomy over that and say, we will put the best 11 on the park for that week that is available. And if it's not your guys, fair enough. Yeah. And that, that's my worry, that if you've got premier teams paying and having an affiliation, they're going to make sure that their players get it. So they're getting their cult teams in the league by the back door almost. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the affiliation thing is, is something that I would definitely be for. If you think about how many good loan players that we've had, you know, Jason Kerr, um, Liam Kelly from Rangers, we've had, you know, Rob Ogilvy from Hearts all those years ago, you know. So I think that there's definitely the scope that we can look at that. But you, you, you're 100% right. You've got to be able to say, well, look, this boy isn't making the grade. He isn't good enough. Or he hasn't given us the full effort because he thinks that he's a really big time. And no, he's not getting in the team. We've got to have that autonomy. I think the autonomy is the, the, the right word where we go. Look, the, the decisions were us. If you're giving him, him to us, we decide what's best for him. Yeah, absolutely. And like the loan system as it is just now, it is broken. It's open to manipulation. It, a lot of it is like who you know as well. Like yeah. Gary Naismith had a connection with Hearts. You've got other people that's got connections with Premier teams. So you call up those connections and you get players. So there's a lot of clubs as well, I feel, use the loan system just now to start so that they don't have to invest in their own youth players, so that they don't actually have to sign players or do their own scouting. And that's not right either. And everything needs a complete overhaul. And this is the ideal time to do it. And league reconstruction now is one of these things that's going to be overhauled. And now we're recording this on Thursday. This could be fast moving, but it does look as if clubs now have until Monday to make a decision on this. So I don't think there'll be any breaking news before this comes out. But what looks like being on the table is a permanent, so not a two-year or a five-year plan, but a permanent 14-10-10-10 setup that would be promoting Brora and Kelty. You would have Hearts not get relegated. You'd have Dundee United and Inverness move up to the Premier. You'd have Falkirk and Wraith move up to the second tier, which I think is right because Falkirk had a great chance of, of yep. getting that spot. You would not be relegating Partick Thistle, which again, I think is right because they had a game in hand. And I, I spoke to Gary there about the, the player Dario Zanata. He actually used his contract clause that if Partick Thistle got relegated, he could get out of his contract. So under this, they wouldn't be relegated. But the Thistle fans crucified him for that. So there's no way he's going to be able to, to reverse that decision. No. But that, that's a whole other thing. But 14-10-10-10, the feeling is it's got a reasonable prospect of being voted and getting agreed on. But as Gary talked about there, this was on the table like six, eight weeks ago. And they said, no, that couldn't happen. 
So why the hell all of a sudden are, fan, are, are clubs now going to be like, yeah, we're going to vote this in? I, I don't know if it's just that they're sick of it and they want to get things to come to an end, but it does feel like the, the best decision. And I, I really don't see any losers in this. No, just do it, press the button, go, and then we all know where we are. You know, I think that take all the self-interest out of it, like I mentioned last week. Look about, look at it as straight and as possible as you can. We need to get ourselves in line with all the other nations that have made their decisions and press the button and go 14, 10, 10, 10, 100% is the right thing to do. Let's tick the box and let's get moving. The only th- thing that is going to maybe make some clubs vote against it, because you need 11 of the current 12 Premier teams to vote against it, is there's going to be a different split up with the money. So some of the Premier teams might be worse off. But a lot of those teams that would maybe need that money also have to think, your chance then of getting relegated has also decreased because there's more teams in the league, possibly teams that's worse than you. So I'm hoping that it's not self-interest comes into here because we need a resolution in this. And what we don't need is this to get voted down and then it's the status quo and then you're going to have court cases and that could drag the season on and whatever. And I mean, we're becoming a laughing stock, but just not being able to get this decided. And I mean, talking about money, James Anderson, the philanthropist who has ties with hearts, he has said he's going to make a three million investment to clubs Although the tax man then takes a big whack of that, which I think is absolutely scandalous. But clubs will be getting £50,000 each. He said it's not tied into reconstruction. It's not tied in with saving hearts. But this is just the kind of people we need in Scottish football. People that actually have the interest of Scottish football at heart. And fair play to him. If every club's benefiting by 50000 that could be the make or break for some of these teams. Yeah, and I think that obviously James Anderson needs to be absolutely praised for that. You know, just somebody with a passion for the game that's went, right, I'm going to do the, what I can using his position that, you know, that he's got the, the money to do. So um, the tax man, less said about him, the better. But um, I think that, you know, it's, it's great for us to get whatever support we can get. Yeah, and if he's got any spare 50,000 going about, we are available to speak to about sponsorship opportunities. So. Get in yeah, touch. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. mate. And we'll send you a, does anybody fancy a chocolate digestive t-shirt? Yeah. Talking of which, one man that would be very happy with this new plan is Gordon Forrest, assistant coach at Dundee United, a man that has been a player at East Fife, a coach at East Fife, spent some time in New Zealand, spent some time over here in Vancouver with the Whitecaps. So we know he's going to be delighted about United going up, but the burning question is, does he fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive even though it's unsuggestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? So Gordon, you're at home at night and you've got your hot beverage of choice, non-alcoholic beverage obviously. Do you go for a tea or a coffee? Speaking of the wrong person, I do not drink tea or coffee. Uh, my wife doesn't drink tea or coffee, so uh, we don't drink tea or coffee in our house. So I'm a... Uh, I'm purely water, or sometimes I get the, again from Scotland, some iron brew sent over. Uh, but if I'm back home and I'm having a hot drink at the football, then I would go for a Bovro. So if you were having a biscuit to have with your drink, say it was a milk or something like that, what would be your biscuit of choice? Ooh, good question. I'd probably have a, a wagon wheel. Oh, and your dunker? Again, I'm not, because uh, I'm not yeah. a tier of coffee person, I'm just... Uh, 
you know, eat it as quickly as I can, but a wagon wheel. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? So is Gordon Forrest there? Finding out if he fancies a chocolate digestive, we will be back with some more chat after this. Hi, I'm Gary Naismith, and you're listening to Glory Days of Gold. So welcome back to Glory Days of Gold, and we've had a very busy mailbag over the last week or so. So what what have our listeners been, been saying to us, Lee? Um, our social media, um, particularly on Twitter, has gone absolutely bananas. Um, so I want to thank um, a couple of the guys. Um, first of all, um, I'm going to go out to John Lane, who sent us an email. He's slightly cheating because he's my father-in-law, but um, he sent me out a, an email and he says, brilliant podcast, absolutely loved it, just like listening to two-year pals down the pub. And I think that that's exactly what we're looking for. You know, we're yep. not sitting here claiming to be experts or leaders in anything that we're doing. But, you know, we want to have that, that we're just a couple of guys talking about football. Um, and, you know, to get that sort of feedback was great. Going on to another message that we received from Mark Gay, who is a staunch Rangers fan. Um, however, he messaged me saying, what a great job you guys are doing. If... Um, if a non-East Fife fan likes it, then um, it must be good, even though there was a lot of Rangers bashing, and Mark, they will continue to be so. Hey, we um, had Scott Arfield on the first show. I mean, what more could you want? Exactly. And, you know, we found out that he, he drinks green tea. So, green tea, I don't know how Rangers fans are happy at that, but anyway, moving on. You know, we had um, a lot of uh, messages coming from um, Leslie Platt, Simon Platt, um, who I believe are our father and son, and talking about how um, they were forcing each other to go, and they, they had a great debate on um, what their all-time 11 was going to be. So definitely had some, some great stuff through. Um, Simon named his 11, which was a, a pretty good one, but the, um, I'm going to save that one for another week. Um, I had a bit of a back and forth with Max McCarroll, who I'm going to go to for his all-time 11. He has very controversially not picked Kenny Duker. I don't Mm. know quite how I feel about that. He he did say, literally, avoided Dr. Goals for controversy. We don't know if we're particularly thinking about banning you from future podcasts, Max, (laughs) so maybe watch your language in the near future. But he's gone for Scott Fox and Goals. Um, Stuart Murdoch, Johnny Smart, Stephen Tweed, and Doogie Cameron, Doogie Doogie Cameron, um, Bobby Barr, Neil Jablonski, um, a, a player who actually went out of my mind, who, who was brilliant for us, and, and another Glen Rothis boy, so oh, yeah. um, Jabba. Um, he went for Scott Agnew, Bobby Lynn, Paul McManus, and a, a player that he, he brought back that totally went out of my head was a guy that we got on loan from the Hibs, Curtis Byrne. Um, who came oh, asked yeah. for a short spin and was absolutely brilliant. He was lethal in front of goal. Um, I was always quite disappointed that he got recalled back from his loan. But yeah, that was Max McCarroll's team. I, mean, I, I talked a little bit in the last part about loan players. In previous years, some of the loan players we had, they weren't great. It's like It looked like they didn't really give a shit what they were doing. They were just like there. Any lone player should be coming to a club like East Fife and trying to seize that opportunity to show their parent club, look, this is what I can do. And I think we've been really fortunate that the last few years, some of the guys we've had on loan have been absolutely phenomenal. And someone like Kerr and Scotty Fox, and you've seen them then go back to their clubs and use what they learned from their time at East Fife to seize their moment and seize their opportunity and just go on to bigger and better things. 
And that yeah. is how these players should be using this opportunity. Too, too many times in the past, we just had players that you're like, how are they even on the books of a premier team? Because they couldn't cut it in our level. And if you can't yeah. cut it in our level, then you're not going to make it. But to be fair, for every time that we've had a, a Matthew Park, who I thought was a decent player, we've equally had an Olade Emo, who was absolutely brutal, but was at Dundee United. So you, you always have one that contrasts the other, but you've got to think about, we have had a lot of a good talent cut, as Burnley, like we mentioned, um, Derek Colhoun, I think, who came from Falkirk, if I'm right. So but we have had a lot of good players on loan through. The, and that, again, touching back on that affiliate thing, I think that's something that could really work for a club like us. Definitely. But I also don't want that to be at the detriment of us developing our own young players. Because like Paul McManus last week talked about that East Fife youth team. And there was about yeah. what eight, eight guys that came through that team. And you've got the likes of Stevie Ferguson that then went on and, and got, got sold to, to Tottenham. I know things didn't really work out for him there. That's the kind of thing that that's like the worst move in many ways for a young guy is to go to such a big team. But then Paul's had a 20-year career. You've had all those other guys that came through the team. And we've got a really good young team. I I've been, was following some of the, the under-20 team. And I know they, they had some, some good matches this year. And I don't want any affiliation to be at the detriment of us bringing through yeah. this homegrown talent. Because that, that homegrown talent is how we survive as a club as well. Because you sell one or two of those on. And then you're in business for a couple of years. Well, I remember us bringing through Stephen Fortune, and yeah. I, I really thought that he was going to go on and kick on and, and have a, a big career, but he, he left us, and I think he went junior, mm. um, which I was always quite surprised at, because I'm sure he got called up into one of the Scotland youth team um, when he was at us. I mean, I think Stephen's 16, 17, something like that, when he played at us, youth player. Nathan Austin, youth player. I know that we got Anton from, I think it was Harriet Watt, but young player, we're taking yeah. the to bring him through so look I mean I, again definitely don't want that to be at the detriment of a, of a youth setup but you know any opportunity that we can get to improve the team maybe without a massive cost has got to be something to look at absolutely and just one last bit from the mailbag it's another all-time East 5-11 we're going to do about two of these I think on every show this one it's more from my era it's from my good friend Glenn Walker on Twitter an absolutely fantastic team and bench in this one. He's gone in goal, Gordon Marshall. Defence, Tom Connor, Big Stuart Burgess, Jim McLaren and Gary Naismith. A lovely four-man midfield of Stevie Kirk, Graham Hutt, Tommy Cafferty and Bobby Lynn. And up front, Gordon Jury and Steve Archibald. His subs bench, Arnold Warica, Paul McManus, Jay Smart, Stephen Tweed, Scotty Agnew, Kenny Duker. John Allison, and in goals... Ray Charles. Ray Charles, yep. So, I mean, that's a fantastic team for, from Glenn there. And, I mean, Glenn and me were just chatting a little bit about the, the old days. And what, what I like about us doing this is we can come at this from different eras because my, my modern-day knowledge is not great because I'm relying on just East 5 TV and I get over to a match every couple of years or whatever. But I love my days of the 80s and the 90s, even though the team was crap in the 90s for, for spells of it. So I, I like that we can come at this from different angles and different eras. And I mean, that was a fantastic team. We did get a suggestion. I can't remember who it was from or on Twitter now that we should ha come up with a team of the hardest players that, that's played for East Fife. So that's something to throw out to the, the listeners. 
who would be your hard men? You've obviously got the likes of Willie Brown, Spider Ramsey, a guy that we hated when he wasn't with the club, loved him in his brief spell with the club, and then hated again when he left. So who else would, would be in your hard man team over the years? Get in touch with us on Twitter at podcast underscore EF or send us an email to aftn.hotmail.co.uk and keep your all-time 11s coming as well. We'd love to hear some more of those. But that's nearly it for this week's show. But before we go, we've got time for this week's Wavelength. For anyone that doesn't know, Wavelength is the part of the show where we play a song about football. Could be by a band, could be by a player, could be by a football team, but they're all united by one thing. They're all about football. And we're going back to 2001 for this week's song, and it's a Glenrothes band called the New Town Grunts from their album Disgruntled. And this is a song called Everywhere She Goes. My girlfriend knows a lot about football. In fact, there's nothing about the game she doesn't know. She goes to all of the big matches. From Gay Party to Dublin, the guys go and she knows all their songs. And she knows all their songs. That was the New Time Grunts there with a song called Everywhere She Goes from their 2001 album Disgruntled. Even gets a little mention of Bayview in there. So that is nearly it for this episode of Glory Days of Gold. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Let everyone know who's coming up next week, Lee. Obviously, we've got Thomas McManus, Tam McManus, Tom McManus, Tommy McManus. Um, 
not just solely famous for being cousin of Paul, but um, had a, a brief spell at East Fife where he did really well. Obviously went on to bigger things at Hibernian, um, scoring wonder goals against Rangers and stuff. So I'm really excited about getting him on. Um, he's very, very vocal um, on social media just now about his thoughts on league reconstruction. So looking forward to picking his brain about that and finding out his um, 11, because I'm sure that'll be good, for because he's certainly been up against just a quick thank you once again to our sponsors. So thank you to KJK Installations, um, Five Pro Wrestling Asylum, as always. Um, really grateful for your support. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it from me, Mike. Um, the Gary interview was absolutely brilliant. Um, in weeks coming up, we've still got Bobby Lynn, Dev Muir, Kenny Duker, and also I've been in touch with Anne Dunsmore this week, who said that he'll come on too. So um, definitely got some some great shows coming up, and um, just wanted to say once again, thank you so much to our listeners. Keep sharing the podcast, share it as far and wide as you can. You know, we aren't solely based on East Fife. We've got a lot of um, fans um, that aren't directly related to, to East Fife listening to it and giving us some great feedback. Um, so please do share it as far as you can. If I could ask for you to make sure that you're um, sharing it on social media as best as you can as well. Also, just wanted to say a huge thank you to Blair at Gunner Designs who dropped into my DMs this week completely out of the blue with a new logo for us and also provided all of the graphics for the players. Um, Blair's offered to do this to support us going forward and we're really, really grateful for that. I mean, the logo um, initially was designed by my wife. I actually really liked it, um, but even when I showed her the new one, she's like, that's exactly what I think that we should be looking for. So definitely huge thank you to Blair for doing that going forward for us too. Yeah, that was, I really love the logo and the feedback I've had from out here as well has been really good as well. So thank you so much for doing that, Blair. Very, very much appreciated. And where can listeners find you on Twitter, Lee? They can find us at podcast underscore EF. They can find me at LeeG1903. And you can find me on Twitter at AFTN website, although I might be changing the name of that soon. And also, the one that I use most out here is at AFTN Canada. You can also send us an email at AFTN at hotmail.co.uk. Don't forget as well to check out the newly revamped AFTN website. Yes, it's back, AFTN.co.uk. But that is it for this week's show. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the fife. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.